Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey everyone, this is Contrarious Live, and we're coming to you from out of the dark. That's uh, your favorite dark corner that the Illuminati has placed us in. I want to mention our e- new email uh, contact again. It's outofthedarkmail at gmail.com. Both Chuck and I share that. Uh, if you have any questions, people should actually have questions. Uh, I know when I get on the phone, uh, people ask me questions because a lot of the things that we talk about are a bit unusual or complicated. But also, um, email is not the best format to to answer complex subjects because a lot of times when people ask me a question, they don't realize that you have to have like a foundational type understanding of something else to even make any sense out of it. So I may prefer to uh, just address it on the show. In fact, uh, Jeff consistently asks me questions uh, on Facebook that are not really uh, compatible with uh, a text format. So I, um, I'll let several days go by. <laughs> he's real patient. And then I'll call him up on the phone. But he asks me these really good questions, but uh, it's difficult to answer them in text. So... And um, we talked about spirit clean. That was in a title, if you've heard that. Uh, spirit clean has to do with, um, this sounds pretty bizarre, but uh, it, you can call it action from a distance. Uh, a lot of people are not familiar with uh, exorcisms over the phone. If you're hearing that for the first time, you're going, what? Does that really work? I mentioned before that Clyde Lewis was going to do a show on that subject. And something happened, and I don't know if the guests didn't show up or what, but the show didn't happen. But, I mean, you know, it was going to get out there uh, aired. I don't think he's talked about it since. But um, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, uh, you can perform any kind of uh, spiritual activity from a distance. And so in the Gospels, you see that, you know, Jesus healed someone from a distance, you know. uh, We've talked about before how you think it's like magic, what you understand, you know, there's different types of magic. It's about magic that actually works. Um, this would be something like witches do. Um, it could be uh, evil intent. But it's actually uh, more effective or powerful if you're in closer proximity. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying, you know, it, it, it is possible to do these things from a distance. But most people don't have any experience with that. But we're not talking about exorcisms. We're talking about kind of like a, um, you can, um, there's these lesser um, demonic entities. They're less powerful. They don't actually indwell anyone. But they're in your local environment. They're in your house. And um, believe it or not, it's relatively easy to to clear them out. 
Um, there's different things that can be evolved, like a uh, generational curses or something like that. Those are relatively easy to deal with. But also, um, we have the ability uh, to do like cleanse the house electromagnetically. And uh, I'd like to get some testimonies of people who've experienced this. Right now, we're trying to help somebody. And this is what happens. Uh, if you try to help somebody, uh, there's spiritual warfare. You know what I mean? Because the demons, uh, they don't want this to happen. So we're trying to, this is, this is like, like the initial attempt to do this kind of thing. And uh, it, it's not going well. The, the demons are putting up resistance and uh, not even getting a chance to even operate here. But um, we can do that kind of thing. And um, also, you know, other people that need exorcisms, um, we've been doing that for years and uh, it's very effective. But, um, you know, this principle is in Scripture. You just can't cast demons out of anybody. Um, we've been told, you know, no, and I told the story before. That was one of the first things God showed me when I was a young Christian. There was this demoniac, and um, there was a gifted individual. He was actually a friend of mine. I knew him when I was a kid. He just happened to be going to this church. And God spoke to him and told him, uh, do not try to deal with these demons. Those demons are there for a purpose. You know, we have no idea, you know, what for. But... Um, that individual was a demoniac, and he, he touched me, and he recoiled in horror because he got shocked, like, electrically. I don't know what was up with all, with all that, but um, <clears throat> there was simple, definitely something going on. But demons have a purpose, and um, the main thing that people have to do is repent, you know, obviously. You just can't cast demons out of people without repenting, and... Uh, so just want to keep that in mind. But we're not talking about exorcisms. We're talking about cleaning the home electromagnetically and also these little imps that uh, a lot of what they do is they just bring ne negative energy to the environment because they also function at an electromagnetic level. Um, but they, um, they put negative thoughts in your mind. They drag you down and uh, they give you defeatist attitude. Uh, they put doubts in your mind and... Uh, Anyway, they're relatively easy to clear away. Um, so you can contact us, that, uh, us about that. Um, uh, the last three weeks, Chuck and I have been talking about, um, uh, you know, before we were talking about things ramping up, uh, actually month by month, so that came to an end. <laughs> And uh, we're in a quiet period here for the last three weeks. And then we discovered why. Uh, because This has happened before. But um, we've got uh, blockages. And it was an attack. This is constant spiritual warfare. And uh, But they have um, the ability to kind of lower you asleep and do things in the background. You don't even know what's going on. But eventually you get suspicious. So, you know, we don't know. We're just like blind men in a dark room. So we try to get revelation on it. And just like it's happened before, um, 
It was mainly going on at Chuck's end. Um, they were blocking him. It's like there was some kind of a cloud or something over him. You actually mentioned that word, Chuck, remember cloud? Right. And this was actually backlash because we had made some inroads at their end. Uh, I'm not going there right now, but uh, apparently it threatened them to some degree. And so they pushed back, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And it never ends down here. Ongoing warfare. There's no, there's no peace. And um, <clears throat> Christians need to be aware of that. I mean, it's um, it, if you're not involved with spiritual warfare, uh, it's because you're not a threat or you're just on the sidelines. Uh, a lot of like Pentecostals and Charismatics, they get very aggressive. It's kind of like thrashing in the darkness. You know, they're really into spiritual warfare. I'm not trying to say they don't accomplish anything, but uh, they're, they're, typically they're not acting in accordance with knowledge. Um, they're confused about a lot of things, like you know, binding and loosing demons. They're trying to base that on Matthew 16 and 18. It's not even talking about that. That's a Pentecostal 20th century interpretation. I'm not sure if the Bible even talks about binding uh, demons. You know, you're not casting them out or anything. You're hopefully temporarily disabling them. But the principle is there. You know, I mean, uh, God can step in and, um, you know, yank a demon or hold him back or, yeah, he can find him, you know, disable him. Sure. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't really recall a passage about biting demons, which is kind of interesting, which is maybe why they had to manufacture um, a little text for that because they didn't have anything. But it's not talking about that. It's talking about the apostles having the authority to bring usher people into the kingdom and actually kick them out of the kingdom to excommunication, which is another uh, essential practice, church practice. And uh, it's being practiced less and less, less and less people are being uh, kicked out of churches. You're supposed to do that uh, to preserve the, the purity of, uh, you know, the people of God. And easy way to illustrate that is the, how often do you see people kicked out of a, a local church for heresy? You see? Because that's, uh, that's a moral fault. It's a sin. And uh, you have to repent of that just like anything else. You don't really see that anymore, you know. Like I said before, the pastors are not even aware, typically, of the belief system of their own parishioners, because you would have to ask them questions, typically, unless they came out and told you something. And pastors, um, increasingly so, are giving uh, people more and more space. It's just part of the being politically correct. You know what I mean? It, it's a form of liberalism, okay? But like I said before, pastors are responsible for the souls of their flock. You know, they're responsible before God to guide them and usher them into um, the, the kingdom of heaven, right? However you perceive that. And uh, heresy, uh, if it's unrepentant, it's just like any other sin, it will, it will damn your soul. So it's very important to uh, recognize heresy and, and deal with it because uh, it will send you to hell according to the Bible. Um, I was talking about blockages there 
I've never mentioned this on the show, but uh, it's interesting how everyone's mind works differently. Um, hanging out with Connie over the years, she has um, this ability to memorize things like from movies and stuff like that. She has really good, excellent recall. Where I, I don't. I'm like the opposite. I don't know what the deal is, but I even have problems remembering uh, details from a movie that I watched the previous night. And uh, But I actually have this ability that I've never talked about. I don't understand it. But I'm able to... Um, it's not like I... I guess I can remember it, but just dial up the, the, the name of a, no, a newspaper in a local city. I don't know how I do this. I know the name of the newspaper, and, you know, they'll have more than one newspaper in in the city, right? And it happened to me last night. I got a little bit wrong, but I was thinking about San Francisco and all the problems there. You may be aware of that. It's in the news a lot. People are leaving San Francisco in droves. A lot of it has to do with the economy and all the homeless people there. And the homeless people there, the reason there's so many there is because of the economy and the lack of uh, mid-range housing. But... Uh, the word chronicle, chronicle, I'm not even sure if that's a word. I think it probably is. Uh, came into my head, and that was pretty close because I looked it up. It's called the San Francisco Chronicle. <laughs> and I don't know how I'm able to do this. I mean, it could even be, uh, you know, a lesser city like Memphis or something like that. And for some, you know, I can't do this all the time, but for some reason or another, I actually know the name of the newspaper. Isn't that weird? Um, I think our brains have um, far more potential. I mean, most people wouldn't have a problem with that. And uh, some people can access some things and other people can access other things. So that's something that I have the ability to do. It's really weird. Um, Another thing that happened just recently, uh, Chuck witnessed this. um, The subject of drones is going to become increasingly important each year. You'll hear more about it, just like you'll hear more about the AI. We'll probably talk about that just a little bit tonight. And uh, I was out uh, walking this steep hill, exercised my legs. I was talking to Chuck on the phone. And uh, the sun had gone down. And uh, I looked up in the sky, and I saw this big light. And then I saw there was different green lights. And I told Chuck, I said, whoa, you know, this is probably going to be a plane. It's almost always a plane, you know, when you see lights like that, Um, multiple lights. And uh, so I I watched it, you know, I figured it's going to be a plane. Um, It it wasn't moving around. So you'll see this over and over again. You'll see uh, an object. It's actually either headed away from you or towards you. And uh, so you can't tell... uh, what it is, uh, until it turns. Anyway, this object started to turn, and I'm going, whoa, um, this is unusual, because it made kind of this sweeping pattern that planes wouldn't do, and then it appeared to be moving faster than a plane. It didn't appear to be a jet, because there was no noise. And then it made some other sweeping patterns, and then all the lights changed to red. And then you can see there was like multiple lights, like six of them. Uh, oh, I forgot to say that early on there was uh, 
I think there was one red light with the green lights. But then it changed to um, all red. Then it changed back to all green. I've never seen this before. And it made some more sweeping motions. And all of a sudden, I realized that it was a drone. You know what I mean? And uh, people are going to see these things more and more. And I've tried to Google it. And I don't see anybody talking about these drones um, over Tacoma at night. So this is kind of unusual, and I don't know, you know, the, the legalities of all that. Uh, I haven't looked it up yet. I'm not sure if that's legal, but they are going to increasingly create more and more laws about this kind of thing. You can't put communities off except there. But it, at least it was good that it was lit. Um, and probably it's not that big. I mean crash into a plane maybe hopefully there wouldn't be that much damage maybe it depends where it hits but uh, also one time I was walking along with uh, uh, just talking to Chuck and uh, this drone came out of nowhere and uh, started hovering around me and I immediately got suspicious it was Illuminati and uh, then I uh, after a while I located the the guy that was running the drone, he was in a parking lot sitting in a car because the drone came back to him. But I was suspicious it was Illuminati. And uh, so the only thing you can really do unless there's something obvious going on there, um, typically they actually want you to know that it's them. That's the psyop, you know, to get into your head. Uh, We try to get revelation on it. And the angel said, no, it's... uh, it's just a guy with a drone. <laughs> um, anyway, kind of interesting. Uh, let's see here. I'm looking. I got some notes here. We'll be talking about uh, celestial objects, celestial signs a lot tonight. <clears throat> I plan on doing a show this week with Emily. She's going to decide what, what day. And... Uh, just kind of a sky watch update. <clears throat> she's been really busy, and uh, I talked to her on the phone today. Um, she's going through some life changes. She, she moved. and uh, But she's getting, quote-unquote, gang stocked, and all this weird stuff has happened. We did a show on that, and uh, they haven't really let up, you know. It's just, like, ongoing. Unbelievable. So they're harassing her. And she's going to give us an update on that and talk about what she's seen up in the sky. Uh, hopefully this week before the 27th. Anyway, um, Chuck, um, we were told to uh, watch the, uh, you know, the heavens and uh, for mm-hmm. celestial signs. Remember that? Now, there was a sign that appeared before that in December according to what I saw on the Internet. And I think we were told this in, like, January or February. And, you know, this is before the eclipse last year. And okay. um, Anyway, uh, we were told that that bright star, which is the brightest star that I've ever seen, and it, it doesn't, change co- doesn't change colors, was actually Venus. Right. And it it it, you know, it was there before, but it brightened significantly in December, and we were told that that was a sign. Yeah, 
And maybe we'll talk about this later. I can't remember if I talked about this just recently or not, but um, in the ancient world, I mean, I've put this in a podcast title. They had the concept of the seven stars. And everything's become confused because they made you know, Pluto a planet and they made the Earth a planet. They claim that the Earth is the third object from the sun. So it confused everything. But in the ancient world, they had these seven stars that were identified with seven gods, powerful gods, the most powerful gods, below the supreme god. And like I said before, they identified all the stars with with deities, greater and lesser deities. And, um, but... um, this has to do with the seven angels that stand before the throne. And people in other cultures were aware of this. They have a, uh, a religion that uh, has diminished over the centuries. It's very small. I forget the name of it. But it's kind of like they lost or forgot <clears throat> the, um, the Most High God. But their religion is based around these seven stars and these seven deities. You see? Now, I'm not certain. I've said recently that there's, um, there's an anti-type because it has to do with a dark hierarchy. And there's seven uh, satanic princes uh, below Satan. And we were talking about this on the phone this week, but uh, one of them is Azazel, and he's the lord of the underworld, which Christians were confused with Satan. And... Um, there's a an underworld that is farther down. There's actually a higher and a lower one. The higher one is Hades. And uh, the lower one is below, actually below the ocean. And they didn't have a problem with that uh, in the ancient world. But that's because they had a cosmic sea. And the modern cosmologies, even if they're alternative, they don't have, they ignore the cosmic sea. So that's why in the book of Job, there's this fascinating passage where it talks about the Rephaim or the giants. You know, the Rephaim is um, similar to the Nephilim. Um, but they're, they're giants, and that's the Hebrew word. But it says they're actually below the waters. That doesn't compute with modern conception of reality because they were punished and they're in a holding place. You know, the Greeks talked about this compartment. I'm not sure if it's Hades or this lower underworld that's called Tartarus. And I think that they believe, yeah, I think they believe it was a compartment of Hades. But that doesn't mean that, you know, they were accurate about that. <clears throat> but that's where they put the uh, the Titans. And the Titans are either the same thing or something similar to the Nephilim. I'm not sure if they're the same thing because uh, they were clearly gods. But they had to be some kind of lesser deities because uh, they got punished and uh, you know, put away like that. So, anyway. Remember Peter, he talked about the spirits in prison. you know, And it talks about this in Second Peter, too. Um... Anyway, there's this big event coming up on the uh, 27th of July. 
and it's a rare uh, total lunar eclipse. And it is the longest total lunar eclipse of the, of the 21st century. Let's see here. <clears throat> it's going to pass over Israel. Um, I don't think you'll be able to see it from uh, North America. But it has this curious um, alignment with Mars. And Mars is um, very prominent in the night sky. From where we're at, it's in the west. It's very visible. And uh, when I look at it, it's a light orange color. And uh, I showed it to a friend of mine uh, the other night, and uh, he was really impressed. And when we looked at it, it, uh, it, it changes over the course of the night in size. It, I, I didn't tell you this, Chuck, but it, it looked like it had a secondary light at the bottom. And then I kept looking at it to see, you know, is that my poor eyesight? I don't wear, you know, regular glasses, just reading glasses if I need them. Uh, but it also, it, it kind of looked like it was a secondary light. I'm assuming it wasn't. But it looked like there was a source of light just below it or part of it. It's really weird. But anyway, uh, Chuck. You and I have been looking at it, and uh, right now the weather is uh, – well, I'll be able to see it tonight, but you won't because uh, yeah. I talked to Matthew. He's in Michigan, and uh, he's got cloud cover, too. You're in Wisconsin. you got cloud cover. And I had a cloud cover last night. But it's very, very impressive. And so everyone needs to go out and see that um, because I've never seen uh, an object in the night sky that big that has any kind of color to it. The largest object object is um is Venus. Now you said, Chuck, that um Mars was um ten times bigger later on in the well, night? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually think it, to me it's uh it's actually I think Dave uh, Venus is in the uh southern uh the uh limit. Mars is in the south the southern sky. I'm outside looking right now, it's uh, it's cloudy. Uh the southern sky and Venus is in the uh western sky. Venus Venus sets really early, so and every night it's been setting a lot earlier. But it's been out for like the last three weeks I've been looking at it. I was wondering yeah. what it was actually about two weeks ago when I finally figured it out. But it was getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Um, Mars is kind of in the south sky at about 23 degrees up, 30 degrees up. And uh, uh, it's almost due, due, uh, due south, actually, just a little bit southwest. And uh, I, I keep on... I, I was watching it. Yeah, it's really orange. Eight thirty, nine thirty, ten. You know, ten thirty at night when the sun goes down. Uh, but just by chance, I went out to my car at one thirty in the morning and I looked up, and it was absolutely huge, and it was red. So it, it gets bigger as the night goes on. So it's a, uh, it's kind of hard for me to wake up at one thirty two in the morning to go out and look at it. But just by chance, I did. But it was absolutely, it was it was the biggest thing I've ever seen in the sky, and it was uh, it was red. It was absolute red. So. Mesmerizing, wonderful. Yeah, you were raving about that. that. It's it's pretty obvious to me that I have not seen that. Yeah, when I look yeah. at it, it's smaller. Uh-huh. In fact, the first time I identified it in the sky, I wasn't sure whether it was uh, Mars or not because I saw it moving around. We'll be, we'll be talking about this. Yeah, yeah, it's real it's small in, at ten thirty eleven, but kind of orange. But uh, a couple hours later, it actually turns red and it goes it maybe grows oh. like five. Five to ten times the size of when you see it at ten thirty, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So, so you you 
first uh, see it around 10:30, maybe. Yeah, something like that. You know, as soon as it gets dark, a little bit. You know. Uh-huh. And I haven't seen it for three days, so you know they do move a little bit every night. You know, so. Uh, maybe we can get somebody on here that. Uh, That's clear skies. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, the Midwest, uh, at least the North, has too much cloud cover. Anyway, uh, this is what's very interesting. Uh, This total lunar eclipse actually occurs on the same day that uh, Mars reaches its opposition. That's what they call it. When Mars will shine at its brightest in the night sky on that very day. Now, what are the odds of that happening? Just think about that. A total uh, lunar eclipse that produces a blood moon, okay? And on the very same day, Mars is at its closest approach to the Earth, and it's at its brightest. How could that possibly... Now, that's assuming that this is all genuine celestial phenomena, okay? We're assuming that, okay? Now, I, I actually believe it is. There's no way to prove anything. That is why you have to try to get revelation. People don't realize that. They think they can figure these things out. They're always assuming things. I try not to assume anything. For instance, last year, I initially didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the, uh, to the eclipse in August because... You know, we believe in a fake moon in the sky. And when we say that, you know, if you're listening this the first time, we believe in a, you know, we're traditionalists and uh, essentially, you know, we're bibliocentric. I mean, we actually do place our view of reality on the Bible. It's just that we try to emphasize that there's all kinds of things that are not in the Bible, you know. But um, we believe in a, you know, traditional moon. Um, but they're veiling that moon. And Emily was just talking about this today on the phone. She claims that she's seen the uh, the genuine moon behind the fake moon. And it makes sense that at least some of the time they would place some, they would veil the moon and then place the fake one right over it. But it's also obvious um, because of the ir- irregularity of this false moon, which is not compatible in, in any sh- shape, what form whatsoever, with a genuine moon, because it just appears in all these different places. They're actually, like, showing you, this is fake, this is fake. You know, uh, I, I don't know, but, I mean, I, sometimes it's um, it's just all over the place. So it, I don't want you to think that they, you know, veil the genuine moon and they place the fake moon right over it. Um, I, I think they do that sometimes. I have no idea how much. But um, um, the reason that you have to have revelation is because the, you know, you look at the, um, the Magi that visited um, Jesus when he was um, a child in the crib. Um, the growing opinion, um, this is developing much more recently, is that the Magi were actually astrologers, and they were most likely from the um, the uh, east over there, 
the kingdom of Parthia, which was a huge empire that actually defeated the Roman Empire, according to standard history. Other than that, you don't hear much about it. But uh, where are the Magi today? You know, in America, the people that um, typically, you know, gaze at the sky, they're confused because um, most of them are heliocentric and they're not conspiratorial and they're trusting NASA for data. Well, that's like a massive problem. You know what I mean? And so we don't have an authority today to interpret the stars. You see, I mentioned last year around the time of the eclipse that um, science does, they don't, not only do they not interpret omens, they don't even acknowledge them. And believe it or not, they would put that in the classification of superstition. Okay. But um, the concept of an omen, which is not necessarily a bad thing, it's a sign or a portent. By the way, you have a portent there at the beginning of Revelation 12, and it's a celestial event. It has to do with the constellation of Draco, constellation of Virgo. We talked about that last year. And... Um, I haven't gotten revelation on this, but I believe that there's some kind of, well, I'm not going to affirm anything, but there may be a relationship between the September 23rd. Sometimes there's a variant date for that. Um, A sign in the heavens that had to do with Virgo, that was actually legitimate, even though it occurs every year. And then you have this nine-month gestation period. Remember, the woman is supposed to be pregnant. People were trying to say that it had to do with Revelation 12. And we were told that was true. And every year I'm going, no, this is fake. You know what I mean? People were saying every year, and they're trying to, you know, the rapture is going to happen. They did the same thing last year, complete flame out. Uh, But last year we were told that that was a a genuine celestial sign uh, that had to do with um, the Queen of Israel. And I would say the remnant, you know what I mean? So Israel, however you perceive that, but I mean, I, I believe that we're Israel, which is kind of, kind of a complicated subject if you haven't heard that before because you actually don't hear that. But that's because the nature of Israel is disguised. And it's not just a bloodline, it's people of God from every race. So it's kind of a complex Subject, but they have that in an embryonic form, even back in the uh, when they were traveling in the wilderness. Once they left Egypt, you can see the Egypt, uh, Egyptians there, and they had converts. So even back then, it was permissible for people to um, join up with Israel and experience the covenant blessings uh, to a certain degree. But they had. Um, a hierarchy there that is not compatible with the Christian mind because it had more than one tier. I pointed out that you can see this kind of thing in Romans 3, uh, verse 1. Um, it, this is not a theory because even the women uh, were not allowed into the inner court. They could only observe from the outer court and the same thing was true for the so-called outsiders. That's the proper term 
for people that we would call Gentiles today. They were outsiders. They were outside the law, and they didn't have to keep the law, even back then. But they could convert to Judaism. It was permissible to do that. And uh, later on in the first century, Paul uh, discouraged that kind of thing. He didn't forbid it, but he discouraged it. There's a lot of confusion about that. But uh, anyway, we've talked about that before. Um, But there are signs in the heavens that have to do with uh, God's people right now. And there is also an alignment that has to do with the constellation of Leo. You have to have some uh, knowledge about that. But Leo is going to appear over the head of Virgo on that very day. So again, this, um, this cannot be coincidence. So you have to have understanding. What do, what do these things represent? Now, I mentioned Draco earlier, and uh, that's a legitimate constellation. And it, they have another one called Hydra, by the way. And sure, it has to do with um, Satan, okay? Now, people should be able to see that. Um, a lot of Christians, they're unfamiliar with, um, it, it's kind of an unfortunate term. There's been uh, books written about it. I've got a, a couple of the classic ones. They're from the 19th century. One is from a guy called E.W. Bollinger. But it has to do with the somewhat unfortunate term called Gospel of the Stars. In fact, I think that was the name of E.W. Bollinger's book. Um, but the theory is here, I don't think it's a theory at all, that um, God put these stars in the sky to communicate certain things. Now, it actually implies this, well, it states it to some degree uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 1. As far as the details, we don't have that kind of thing today. Um, You can see there in the Song of Deborah, she's speaking apparently, you know, metaphorically, she says the stars fought. There was an earthly battle, and she says the stars fought. And... uh, so, one interpretation is that there was a heavenly uh, battle that involved the angels because they're referred to as stars. And the reason that's done is because in the ancient mind, uh, they were associated with these celestial objects. And we've forgotten that, see? So, we, we just think it's just speaking metaphorically for no purpose. Um, the other possibility, and it doesn't have to be either or, that um, the stars were communicating that. Um, You don't want to think that the stars were battling, but there may have been something that happened on a physical level, uh, like a star moving out of its place and crashing into another star. Uh, Probably not, okay? But um, if she was speaking about celestial objects, um, there was something going on there. And so you have this uh, as above, so below principle. And uh, that's an example of um, a sign in the heavens. And it has uh, meaning for an event on earth. Okay? So anyway, um, Virgo, if you get into this kind of uh, gospel of the stars concept, it represents different things. Now, like I said, they don't have a concept of the queen of Israel in Christianity, unfortunately, the feminine has been systematically 
uh, taken away. Okay? We've talked about this a number of times. So, um, but it does represent uh, Israel or God's people or the remnant. Um, now, the a way to kind of, you know, wrap your head around this is to go to Revelation 12. And you see the woman there, right, at the, at the beginning of um, <clears throat> the chapter. And um, it's important to understand that that's a double metaphor. Well, anyway, I mean, uh, Christians don't have a problem believing it, that um, it's, that woman is symbolic of either Israel or, you know, the remnant or something along those lines you know, a corporate body of people. They don't have a problem with that. But um, we've talked about the deeper teaching where the woman is a double metaphor. I've gone into detail about that. It's actually easier to see it in Revelation 17, okay, Um, because the name Isis that we've talked about so many times, and that's actually the ancient uh, Sumerian queen, Semiramis, which is a mistranslation, whatever they had, corruption, but um, uh, Isis means to sit. It has to be with, enthroned because she's a queen, important queen. And uh, so you're going to say that's not a coincidence, okay? Um, but that woman um, also represents something else. So it's a double metaphor. And then when you go and you look at the beast in Revelation 13, the... Uh, personal pronoun is missing. It's not used for the Antichrist or beast figure until Revelation 19. And that's why it's translated over and over uh, in the revised standard version as the word it. It's impersonal. But it becomes clear at some point that it also refers to a person. And that's what people typically focus on. They call it the Antichrist, right? Even though that terminology isn't used in Revelation. It's used um, in Second John, and he's the author of Revelation, so that's legitimate there. Um, but it becomes clear that um, the beast is a double metaphor, and it actually represents um, a man who personifies the kingdom. And the same thing is true with the woman. She actually personifies Israel. There's only one woman. This is where people get confused. They don't understand it's the same woman. Because what you're seeing there in Revelation 12 is a redeemed whore. It's the same woman in Revelation um, 12. You see, it uses the definite article, so it points to singularity. When it says the woman in Revelation 12, there's only one woman. There's not two the woman. There's only one. Because the definite article points to singularity. And you can see why people would get confused with that. You can see why people would need revelation. So what this woman does is she personifies, symbolizes, or represents um, the spiritual state of Israel in the state of wickedness and apostasy, and then also when God restores them. And I believe that that has a double fulfillment. We've talked about this before. I'm talking about Revelation 12. Because um, this... Uh, metaphorical whore, which is actually uh, a singular entity, um, is redeemed twice. She's cleansed. Okay? And that uh, represents the cleansing of God's people. That happened in the first century. 
And uh, it's going to happen again. And I've gone into quite a bit of detail. I can't do this right now. It's too much of a deviation. To attempt to prove that um, it's a double fulfillment. Um, the easy way to do that, you, you can see there's something going on there because the woman flees into the wilderness there. I think it's Revelation 12:6, And then later she flies into the wilderness and preterists would place both of those events in the first century and futurists would place both events in the future. Although uh, scholars tend to separate them like I do. But if you think about it um, and think for yourself, it's it, typical Christians, they don't emphasize anything from the past or the first century. That's why they run into the problem, where scholars have a tendency to acknowledge historical events in the first century that are very important. And that's what it's doing there in Revelation 12. The same thing with the, uh, the war in heaven. But anyway, I mean, it, it's laid out there. They're two separate events. You should be able to see that. Uh, when the woman uh, fled... That had to do with um, responding to the uh, prophetic oracle of Christ to flee Jerusalem. He said, when you see it surrounded by uh, armies. And in Matthew 24, Jesus said, all these things will be fulfilled in this generation. That was fulfilled. That has to do with the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. Christians tend to overemphasize Jesus' earthly ministry and his resurrection, ascension to heaven. And you'll actually see this, like in a local church setting. And they don't talk about the latter part of the first century. I actually believe that's a conspiracy. Uh, it's a misdirection technique because um, preterists actually say that that was the most important event in world history. I, I don't agree with that, but it was incredibly important. And you can see that because Jesus talked about imminent tribulation. There's actually, there's, there's no question whatsoever. I mean, the, the apostles were talking about, well, first of all, the, <laughs> the tribulation was there. And you can see that in Revelation chapter 1, where John is speaking about the tribulation in the present tense. And he's acknowledging that we're actually in this tribulation. Um, I'm going to look that verse up <clears throat> because it's really important. Just a second here. <clears throat> I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and um, and patient endurance that are ours in in Jesus that's um, I got to get my reading glasses it has a definite article the tribulation your brother and companion in the tribulation here you go I said before that um, Jesus never spoke about the Great Tribulation. That's a Christian myth. You know, we're talking about Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. 
Why? Because the definite article is missing. Okay? So this concept of, um, you know, a seven-year tribulation period, and the latter period is the Great Tribulation, that's not uh, strictly a biblical concept. But you could um, develop that apart from Scripture, simply because, even though it's not expressly stated in Scripture, uh, the concept is there in Revelation 12. It's based on what happens in uh, Revelation 13, where you have the 42 months. The beast appears. Well, obviously that period is going to be more severe. Okay? But there, he's actually talking about the first century. Because he said all these things will be fulfilled in this generation. Okay? So anyway, the uh, once you understand that the beast is a double metaphor, and... Uh, if you have a little bit of knowledge about ISIS, uh, Christians actually don't, then you can see that it's referring to a historical woman, and that's a double metaphor too in Revelation 17, so you go back to Revelation 12, this is a double metaphor. The reason that people can't see that is because they um, they spiritualized Psalm 45, 13, where it talks about the queen or other translations will say princess in the gold of Ophir. And there's a reason why they do that. Because that passage is messianic and they cannot allow uh, the Messiah to have a consort. Okay? Um, You cannot prove that. That's an unprovable theory. It also talks about his favored women right before that verse. And uh, that is a, a word that only occurs once in Scripture. Okay? You've got words uh, in the Hebrew language that are ne- nowhere found in Scripture, like the Shekinah. has to do with the, the glory cloud, okay? But it's still a Hebrew word. People use it. This particular word, like some of the words in the book of Job, they only used once. So you can't use the context of Scripture uh, to determine what that word means. But guess what? In Hebrew, it's one of the words for wives. Okay? I mentioned before, you have what's called translation bias. And in this culture, we have a cultural bias against polygamy. Okay? And because we've turned Jesus into a sacred cow... They can't get an erection or experience flatulence or belch accidentally or make a mistake or actually learn and acknowledge that he was in error because it says he grew in wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. You're going to learn that you were wrong about certain things because even children have an opinion about reality. Uh, that's because they make a judgment with their level of knowledge, and it's going to be faulty. And so when you grow in wisdom and knowledge, you discover that you were wrong. So we've talked about this quite a bit. And we've talked about this psyop uh, to trick Christians into believing that the Messiah is perfect in absolute sense, so they will reject him when he returns. Um, because he's not returning in the clouds. 
that already occurred. Just simply believe the words of Jesus. One of the primary passages that refers to the so-called second advent is actually in Matthew 24, and it talks about these celestial signs, like what we're talking about, that have to do with the, uh, you know, the moon. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's the second advent, okay? And what did Jesus say about that? He said, all these things will be fulfilled in this generation. So that was fulfilled, okay? And he was taking the passage literally. There's many passages that teach this. There's no passages in the Bible anywhere that teach it's going to occur in, in, in you know, the distant future, like 2,000 years. It's completely ridiculous. But why do Christians believe that? Well, <clears throat> that's the only thing they ever hear, right? If you go to a local church, are you going to hear about a first century second advent? No. No. You won't hear it in your local neighborhood. And uh, the reason this is important is because there is going to be uh, what people call rapture. But it has to do with an exodus. There is a literal exodus, like we said before. And uh, those two events, you know, at least on the surface of things, you would have problems trying to say that they occur at the same time. You know, you've got this concept where Jesus comes down from the clouds, then he leads us on an exodus? What? Those events should be in two different historical periods. So I've talked about that quite a bit. But anyway, um, I said what I said to try to illustrate that Virgo is a double metaphor. So we tried to get some revelation on this today before the show. Are you there, Chuck? I always try to get Chuck involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> The channel of revelation. And like I said, the reason I do this through Chuck is I'm, I'm bypassing my own mind, any kind of prejudices, so I have no effect on the answer at all. I just phrase the question. That, that's the reason why I go through him. And uh, we'll just call him an angel. We don't have to say um, Chuck's angel every time. <clears throat> and um, you were told that it, because uh, I asked the separate questions, that Virgo, on the 27th, it represents actually Judah. Now, that may sound strange to people because people have this churchy-type mindset, right? And um, they need to understand that, according to Scripture, Judah is going to be reestablished in the land, literally, See that in Ezekiel uh, 47 and 48, along with the other tribes, including the tribe of Dan. Okay? Dan is not included in Revelation chapter 7. And the reason is, those are two different historical time periods. There's a parenthesis, an in-between period, that uh, separates those two events. Basically, you have these important events occurring in the first century, and there's this long period of time between that where you have events that occur again that are actually a historical type of what happened in the first century. 
But what I was getting around to saying earlier is that um, Jesus was talking about imminent tribulation. And they were actually in the tribulation. A lot of people fall for the uh, unfortunate error that you hear repeated over and over that um, the book of Revelation was written in like the ninth decade of the first century. They're trying to cover up something. It was written, I don't want to go into that. I've talked about that before. I'm just, you know, people were thinking, well, John came a lot later. You know what I mean? And uh, it's a lot more compacted as far as like a timeline. They stretched it out artificially. Um, the temple that he's referring to there in Revelation 11, that's, that's the Jewish temple, which was a part of their religion. The disciples were still <laughs> participating um, in temple-based religion. They weren't just going there to, um, <clears throat> you know, spread the gospel. They were still participating in the uh, the Jewish feasts, which were always centered around the temple. That's an important subject. I said before, you can see that um, Paul is still practicing that religion. In uh, Acts 21, <clears throat> because he had been accused of not keeping the law of Moses, so he wanted to prove that he that he was. So anyway, um, this has to do with 144,000, and uh, in Revelation 7, and then that was fulfilled in the first century. And you have the great crowd right after that. A great multitude? That has to do with our day. That's why you have two different lists of the 12 tribes, you see. Two different historical periods. So sure enough, if you look at Revelation 7, people don't notice this, and they have a tendency to over-spiritualize the book of Revelation. You actually see an exodus event that has to do with a great multitude. The great multitude, they're going to go on an exodus. And guess who's going to lead the exodus? Remember I said that uh, that's an absurd concept, that Jesus would appear in the sky, come down to earth, and then lead the people on an exodus? That doesn't make any sense. Now, you know, you run into problems where you have the human mind trying to figure out, you know, God. We have to acknowledge that. But you have to admit on the surface of things that those two events should occur in different historical periods. But anyway, in uh, Revelation 7, it talks about the... Um, well, it says they actually come out of the Great Tribulation. Now there, you actually have the definite article again. And... Um, I've talked about this in detail. I put it in the podcast title. It's an unfamiliar concept, but uh, you have to have the background of the diaspora. This is why there's going to be uh, an exodus rapture. Now, everybody agrees, including Preteros, everybody agrees, that God scattered his people, uh, which, you know, the Jews. He says this a number of times, and it's a literal event. Nobody spiritualizes that. I've never heard anybody spiritualize that. But the Bible also says a number of times that he's going to gather them back. 
Well, in Ezekiel 20, it says the same thing in the one verse. So as I pointed out before, you can't spiritualize one part of the verse that refers to like something like a gathering and take the other part literally. It's got to be consistent. So um, I think the reason that people don't think about this is because the concept of a supernatural gathering, because people are dispersed over the earth, bringing them to one place, it says what the place is in Ezekiel 20, is the wilderness among the nations, the Exodus event. Okay, It has different stages. The first stage is the gathering, and it's basically a horizontal rapture. People have not heard this before, because God is... Um, he told me this way back in 1993, although I didn't understand the rapture concept at that time. I don't know when I developed that. I simply haven't heard it before. Okay? And they hear about the rapture over and over again, but they never hear about an Exodus rapture. Um, once they're gathered to that place, they'll stay there, according to Revelation 12, for a time, times, and half a time. And you would generally assume that would be three and a half years. And then they leave that place. You can actually see that because the, um, the dragon there, he's pursuing the woman, trying to destroy her with a torrent of water. I actually believe that's literal. And I actually believe that is mentioned in, uh, I remember what Psalm, oh, Psalm 18 goes into great detail. And if you take that literally, it'd be very difficult to reconcile that with any kind of an event in David's life. It looks like it has celestial implications as well. David is delivered from a torrent of water. Everybody's spiritualizing that. But I believe, I'm convinced, that it refers to David in the distant future. It's prophetic, like a lot of these psalms. It's also messianic, and uh, it does refer to a future David figure. In the latter part of Psalm 18, you can look at that. Uh, the nations are in subjection to him. Okay? That, that did not happen with David. Um, he was trying to get the 12 tribes organized and just keep the, um, the enemy away. <clears throat> they had a lot of warfare. And those nations weren't in submission to him. And uh, it's the same event as the torrent of water. And like I said before, we've actually been shown by Revelation that um, what Satan is going to do is make it look as if they were destroyed by water and because the people are going to leave and he wants them to believe that they've been destroyed because um, just like the Israelites in Egypt, the people were tormented and that's why it says they were vexed. That's why it says in My uh, Micah 7, the nations will be in fear of you. And you won't have a problem believing that's in the future because almost everyone that's listening to me is a futurist. That's great. You're going to put that passage in the future. Well, I guess people would assume that this has to do with after Jesus returns in the clouds. Okay? 
That's not going to happen. Um, he's born of a woman. It talks about that specifically in Isaiah 49, verse 1 and 2. And uh, the figure there says, um, before I was born, you made mention of my name. Well, like I said before, the number one name in Scripture that's used prophetically over and over, I don't even know how many times, it's David. There's one time where the, the term Emmanuel is used. According to Matthew 3, I think it is, that's applied to Christ, somewhat mysteriously. Because that passage is talking about the son of Isaiah. Very clear. There you see an example, one of the best examples in Scripture of a double metaphor. You cannot use the context of Scripture to prove that that's messianic. Matthew said that um, without any evidence whatsoever. (laughs) It doesn't even make any sense. The other term that's used, the name that's used prophetically is Cyrus. I believe it's used twice. It refers to Cyrus the Great, the great Persian king. Okay, but David is mentioned over and over again. Okay? And it talks about a future David in Isaiah 55, in the context of Isaiah. So David is also talking about a future David. And every single time that the Christians see the term David, they say, well, that's Christ, because it's in the future context. context right? Well, they're actually correct. Okay? The one thing that they're not correct about is he's not perfect. He was perfect in the first century to be the spotless, sacrificial Passover lamb. Okay? And he kept the law of Moses perfectly. And in that era or culture, uh, that was um, you know, living without committing sin. Because uh, sin has to do with violation of a known law. Jesus kept the law of Moses perfectly. That's what he did. Okay? He wasn't perfect in an absolute sense. Okay? Uh, there's no men who are perfect in an absolute sense. You'd have to qualify, you know, perfect. I'm not talking about sin. Okay? For instance, he made errors in judgment. I've talked about this before. This is expressly taught in Scripture. He made an error of judgment when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had already revealed that he had prophetic knowledge that he was going to die. Okay? He didn't give the specifics, but he declared this to his disciples. They didn't understand it, and they didn't want to receive it. But um, it's too bad for Christians. They can't allow for Jesus to make an error in judgment because he already did that before he went to the Garden Now, what he was doing, he was praying uh, because he was under great emotional duress. He wasn't thinking clearly so that he wouldn't have to um, actually be crucified. Okay? Well, he already knew that was going to happen. You see that? He was under emotional duress. He wasn't thinking clearly. You'll notice that Christians don't want to talk about that because they've turned him into a sacred cow. You see, and they like to protect Jesus and um, elevate him beyond what the scriptures do. So anyway, okay. So also, um, 
This involves the constellation of Leo, like I said. You have to have some background with that. Leo has to do with the tribe of Judah. And I asked a question about that. And Chuck was told that it does have to do with Judah. But it's also messianic. Why would it be messianic? Because the scripture refers to the lion of the tribe of Judah in the book of Revelation. And uh, all the uh, nations in the ancient world, you know, people real familiar with like the uh, <clears throat> Egyptian, what we call mythology, they all used um, animal symbolism to communicate certain things. Okay? And it had to do with the attributes of a particular animal. Okay? Now, um, in the celestial sky, the sun reigns as king. It's preeminent. There's a sense for it's superior to the moon. Okay? And um, so it represents kingship symbolically. And traditionally, a lion, who is, uh, they call him the king of the jungle, right? <laughs> um, is identified with the sun for more than one reason, because it's preeminent, but also because um, God may have actually done this, because he does this kind of thing. Uh, you look at the mane of a lion, it has some commonalities with the, uh, the sun. I think that was probably done deliberately. Because, see, the symbology of actually the sun being associated with a lion, it's actually in the Bible. And it's an ancient concept. And it's something that comes from God. And the Illuminati, they use the same symbology today. They don't change things. In the book of Revelation, you'll actually see color symbology, like purple, white, uh, red. The Illuminati, they don't, they're traditionalists, believe it or not. He's the same symbology. They didn't, they didn't change the colors. Okay? You know, purple has to do with royalty, right? Um, anyway, so uh, Chuck was shown that it also has uh, messianic implications. Now, this is the very first time, I think, that we've been shown that there's a celestial sign that has to do with the Messiah. Now, you can readily assume that it has to do with the arrival of the Messiah. What else would it have to do with that? Maybe it has to do with something else? I don't know. But I think we can probably safely assume, I didn't ask this, that it has to do with the arrival of Messiah. Okay? Now, his consort... They have suppressed this. Satan has suppressed it. God has hidden it. Is the queen of Israel in Isaiah 45. You cannot use scripture to prove that the, um, the queen in verse 13 is the church. That's impossible. Okay? What you're simply doing is you're going with your Christian doctrine that Christ will not have a consort. Okay? Uh, I could, I could uh, hang out there for a while and uh, and hammer away at that. But what I'm trying to say, you can't prove that that is the church, if that's what they say. Like I said before, there's two other groups of women there. 
And I'm not sure, they're actually going with the, the, the personification um, concept that I already talked about in Revelation 12. And here they're trying to say that the single woman represents a group of people, which is God's people, or the remnant, or whatever the heck, you know, or Israel. Or, okay? See? Even the Christians do that, okay? But how can you prove that that's the church? Well, you can't. Because you've got two other groups of women. So who are these other two groups of women? It talks about the favored women, and it talks later because there's a wedding there, okay? And it talks about these maidens. They're like maid, the maid servants of, of the queen, okay? So if you ask these people, well, who are these two groups? They don't know, okay? They have a, a prejudice against polygamy, which is nowhere found in Scripture. Not one single verse. You can see that more clearly when you look for some kind of negative statement about concubinage. The Bible is completely silent, which is a form of polygamy, right? <clears throat> The Christians have so little that they try to twist the passage that talks about an elder must be the husband of one wife and try to turn that into a negative passage against Pligny. Okay, well, how, it's simply talking about, you know, he has a greater burden, okay? It has to do with service. He has a higher responsibility. He has a higher calling. God wants the elder to have one wife. That's actually a proof text for polygamy. Because does it say anything about anyone else that's not an elder? So where in the Bible does it say anything about someone who is not an elder having more than one wife? Does it say anything about that in the Bible anywhere? No. Did you know that Christians are so ill-informed that their entire life, they are unaware of the passage where God spoke to Nathan, to David, because he's, he's talking about his sin with Bathsheba, he said, why did you do this? I gave you all of your wives, and I would have given you even more if you had asked to me. Did you know that they don't know that passage is in the Bible? That completely collapses their cultural bias, because they always say the same thing. And watch out for these statements that you keep hearing repeated over and over. Here's what they say, almost word for word. In Old Testament times, God used to wink at polygamy. And you've actually heard that, haven't you? You used to wink at polygamy. Why do they say that? That's one of these many statements that I pointed out that get repeated verbatim over and over without any critical thinking. And then you wonder why I say that institutional Christianity is a quote-unquote cult. Because that's what they do in cults, don't they? They repeat what they hear without any critical thinking. But when Christians do it, oh, well, it's not a cult. Well, like I said before, um, it's a cultic system because the people's minds are enslaved propaganda. Their mind is not free. They're not familiar with the real world. They have bought into all these manufactured illusions by the uh, master illusionists, <clears throat> and they're out of the loop. They haven't figured out any significant deception 
that has to do with the present system. You know, they're, they trust the uh, medical system. The pastors support uh, the military, right? They just speak against the military. And they go along with the show when it comes to politics as if that is a valid system. So it's not surprising that I talk about how pastors have an institutional mind and they're part of the institutional system because that's what seminaries are. They have the same essential teaching curriculum, you know, four years, eight years. Where did that come from? Is that in the Bible anyone? And then, like I said in a recent show, and I've said a number of times before, it's a cultic system because you're not required to do any critical thinking. You're simply required to memorize what they tell you is the truth. Now, when they do that in the Watchtower Society, we call it a cult, okay? Um, This is the cult of society, and everyone is born into it. Like I said before, if you're in a cult, you're not supposed to know you're in a cult. So it's perfectly natural for people not to be aware that they're in a cult. The whole Western society is a cult. And people have a cultic mindset... And they are incapable of interpreting reality. The true reality is actually esoteric. And they have been psyoped into believing, especially Christians, by the way, that there isn't anything esoteric. You know what I mean? There isn't anything esoteric. Closest you'll get to esoteric is like science discovering those new scientific discoveries. Outer space... I'm telling you, every single thing that they say, I believe 100% about you know what's out there is a lie. It's absolutely amazing. They would, because typically they will mix in the truth with the lie. But somewhat interestingly, when it comes to um, what we call space, they lie, I think, 100% of the time. Pretty much. Um, it can't be 100%. There has to be something that they say about the sun that's true. Off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything. But it's really laughable. Like I said, it's propaganda for the idiocracy, and the people are getting dumber and dumber, and the, the grand illusionists are becoming more daring because they know they can get away with it, and they are getting away with it. And so they make the, the propaganda more absurd and more obvious, and it becomes increasingly laughable for anyone that has acquired um, any basic discernment skills, which um, American citizens typically do not have. They're actually, it's actually a rare commodity. Uh, you can look at one uh, reference point, Donald Trump. Okay, So you've got all these conspiracy theorists who, who will tell you, I don't believe in voting. Okay? Well, they're telling you that, um, you know, that's a scam, and then, you know, the political system is a scam. Hold it here. You go to YouTube, you go to Facebook, day after day, and what have the grand illusionists done? 
they have seduced these conspiracy theorists who made a profession that they believe in what's called vote scam. That's actually a book called Vote Scam. And they've got all wrapped up in Donald Trump. They're not acting in accordance with their own belief system. As if Donald Trump is somebody that's important. And actually, these people actually—they—they they came out and said, "You know, he's a puppet." Now, isn't it funny? Because you should notice this: that you don't hear people saying that Trump is a puppet. I'm talking about conspiracy theorists, like they used to say Obama was. And you know why? Because they're buying into the psyop. I've talked about the value of hope. Every person lives day-to-day on hope, okay? And uh, I think that's why this propaganda is, is, is directed at a basic human desire. People long for hope. And I actually believe that God has placed within his own people, um, they don't recognize it, and they are expecting Messiah to come, right? Every generation does this. So they have a message on hope, but they're misdirected because they don't understand the scriptures. You know perfectly well that you've probably never heard a single Christian that you know uh, referring to the passage that I mentioned in Matthew 24 that says all these things will be fulfilled in this generation. They took that passage and they massively twisted it see this in uh, the most influential work on Bible prophecy and the idiocracy, book called The Late Great Planet Earth. Chuck and I were talking about that last week. We both read it. It was really influential. Um, and they took that concept and they, uh, <clears throat> they leapfrogged into the future. I call it catapult theology without any justification whatsoever, they applied it to the restoration of Israel in 1948 and uh, said this is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy in Matthew 24, completely ignoring what Jesus said. Now, this is what most Christians believe. Okay? This is popular Christianity. What is the justification for doing that? They do the same thing, by the way, in Daniel chapter 9. They take the latter three and a half years, they catapult them into the future. How do you know that that doesn't have to do with um, the period between 66 and 70 AD, assuming that's a legitimate chronology, which I do not? (laughs) But how how do you know that? Well, even that is catapulting. Okay. But in Judaism, they place um, Daniel 9 before the first century, somewhat curiously. Most Christians will never hear that. Okay? Those 70 years in Daniel 9 should be consecutive. There's absolutely no justification whatsoever for separating either the last seven or the last three and a half. And the reason that Christians do that is because it talks about an anointed one. Okay? Uh, But the Bible talks about anointed ones apart from Christ. Doesn't it refer to Cyrus as an anointed one? Now, it actually refers to him, the Hebrew word, Mashiach. 
which in the Greek Septuagint, which is the translation of the Hebrew, he's referred to as Christ without the definite article. Same thing with David. He's referred to as Christ. You see, it's just a word. In English, it's best translated into two words, anointed one. That's what it means in English, okay? You need more words in English to express what I actually think was uh, Aramaic. Got translated into Greek. So, um, Christians have a tendency to see Christ everywhere, Jesus everywhere. So they naturally assume that that's Jesus there in Daniel chapter 9. With them. This is what we're talking about the last week. So they're thinking that that last seven years has something to do with his earthly ministry. And then the last three and a half years doesn't sound compatible with that. It sounds something that has, like something that has to do with the Great Tribulation, so-called. So that's why they catapulted into the future. I've actually held four different views on that. And now I hold to um, the scholarly Jewish view that it was fulfilled before the first century, which actually makes perfect sense. Look at the context. What in the heck is it talking about? It's, now, this was all explained at Jeremiah, okay, as well as Daniel. What does the 70 years have to do with? Stop and think for yourself. What does the 70 years have to do with? God tells Jeremiah it has to do with a period of probation where they would be in exile in Babylon, doesn't it? Are we thinking? Because you're going to find out real quick that Christians don't think. They follow. They follow the popular view. Uh, where does the popular view come from? Illuminati think tank. Illuminati think tank. Theological propaganda. Do Christians think about theological propaganda? No. They only think about lies from the devil, but they don't understand how the lies from the devil arrive. They arrive through the system. Through the system. Okay. So, um, 70 years were appointed, this has to do with Judah, by the way, the southern kingdom, um, as a punishment for their sin. And then they were to be released from exile. Now, when did that occur? You should know that. Think for yourself. When did that occur? Did that occur in the first century? No. Does that have anything to do with 1948? This is completely laughable. This is something you would expect from the Watchtower. But, oh, this is the popular opinion of Christianity. When did those 70 years end? (laughs) You should know. The Bible tells you. During the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and Cyrus the Great. Remember, Persia defeated Babylon, right? Cyrus was the king of Persia, and he was used by God to allow the Jews 
a contingent of them, because not all of them wanted to go back, to um, Judah and rebuild a temple which was inferior. It's called the Second Temple. It was inferior to Solomon's Temple. And then Herod uh, did some reconstruction and improved on it. Over a pretty long period of time, still obviously during his lifetime. Can <clears throat> you see how you've been lied to? Now, you notice that the only thing you ever hear about is, you know, this last week has to do with the future. It hasn't, it's not even fulfilled yet. And then they try to say that the Antichrist is going to make a covenant in the middle of the seven years. It's right there in Daniel 9. Can't you see? This is completely, utterly false. And you'll notice that you needed help to figure that out. You weren't able to figure that out on your own. This will show you that Christians need help. They're deceived. They can't see. They can't understand the first century and the important things that happened. Okay? They don't even talk about it. They check out in the first half of the first century. And they ignore the latter half. Uh, because that's a psyop. And you can't take the events of Jesus and stuff them in a box. Okay? But the Illuminati did a pretty good job of covering up the important events in the latter part of the first century. So that's what they did. And uh, if you ever start thinking about that, they've got a sheet pulled out there called Preterism. If you believe what Preterists say, you'll bust hell wide open. Because they deny the general resurrection of the saints according to 1 Corinthians 11. That is an essential doctrine which it specifically states is an important element of the gospel, somewhat surprisingly. They're talking about the general resurrection of the saints. That's an essential doctrine. Preterists deny the physical resurrection of the saints. Okay? That is a sheepfold created by Satan. If you're going to start to acknowledge the important events in the first century, oh, become a preterist. It's just like in the church, they don't talk about racial issues in white-dominated churches. Even though, like I said, the Bible talks about race from Genesis to Revelation, talking about 144,000 Jews. I mean, most people actually agree with that in Revelation 7. Well, that's the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, when you start to discover for your own, probably through personal study, uh, unless you run into some group somehow, which happens more commonly on the, you know, the Internet, not in your local neighborhood, unless you're talking to somebody at a coffee shop, <clears throat> um, and you see what the Bible has to say about race, very important in the Bible, you're probably going to join the Christian identity movement. You see that? Like I said, there's no these groups that are in between these um, polarizing sheepfolds that are both manufactured, 
They're sheepfolds that are manufactured by Satan, okay? Now, if you're going to figure this out, oh, come over here. Come to this sheepfold. Come to the preterist sheepfold. Deny the resurrection and go to hell. I mean, now, if you're a Roman Catholic and you show this witness comes to your door and starts getting into the word of God and you're going, wow. You know, we... We hardly ever talk about the Bible in the Roman Catholic Church. You're pretty impressed by that, right? I think I'll become a Jehovah's Witness. Well, guess what? That's a sheepfold created by Satan to send you to hell. Why is that true? It has to do with the resurrection again. Do Jehovah's Witnesses acknowledge the physical resurrection of the saints? Yes. So what's the problem? They deny the physical rapture of Christ, which is an essential doctrine. You can see that right there, Romans 10.9. You have to believe in the physical resurrection of Christ's flesh, resurrection of the flesh, in order to be saved. This is why Job's witnesses are going to go to hell. Okay. Mormons don't do that, by the way. And in preterism, <clears throat> they have this curious doctrine. Now, you have different beliefs, but most preterists believe and acknowledge that Jesus was physically raised from the dead. That sounds pretty good, right? Remember, they're going to hell anyway, so it doesn't really matter what they believe on this. But <laughs> Satan's not through with them. Okay, the common belief, take a numerical headcount of preterists, is that they believe that when he ascended into heaven, he took upon a spiritual body that is not a flesh. Okay, so he was raised in the flesh, but ascended into heaven and shed that body. And what's so bad about that? Well, that will send you to hell too. Why is that true? Go look at Second John 7. And if you take the, uh, the language there and expand the, the verb, verb tenses, it actually says, just talking about Jesus, he came in the flesh and remains in the flesh. Okay? Expressing continuity there. Ongoing. They deny that, don't they? Now it says, any man who does this is the Antichrist, which somewhat curiously has the definite article, which is not compatible with the Christian doctrine of a singular Antichrist they, that they use the definite article for. Because this is talking about any, it's somewhat a false teacher, by the way. It says that don't allow him into your home. It's not a talking about a Jehovah's Witness at your doorstep, like most Christians believe because they're not educated. It's talking about allowing an outside false teacher into a house church. Hello? Okay? No. And um, <clears throat> you better believe that if, if, if John says that if you deny that doctrine, you're the Antichrist, you're not going to make it, are you? What about Preterists? Do they believe? that Jesus 
presently has a resurrection body of flesh? No. According to John, each individual who denies that is the Antichrist. I said it has the definite article, the word the. They got another problem with the United Pentecostal Church. They hold to a Christology known as modalism. You have the concept, which is not strictly biblical, of the Godhead. It's used typically in the context of a Trinitarianism. But the word Godhead is not in the Bible. It's The translation is there, but it's, it's, uh, it's a mistranslation. But anyway, we still use the term to communicate just because of the familiarity. And uh, they claim that there is only one person in the Godhead at any particular time. Now, they believe that the Holy Spirit is a person, okay? But the... The Son of God and the Holy Spirit uh, never coexist, and neither does the Father. You have these different errors or dispensations. Okay? So, do they believe that Christ had a resurrection body on an ongoing um, state beyond the first century? Is that what they believe? No. No. That's another heresy. Remember I said in the other part of the show, a heresy is a moral fault, and if it's unrepentant, just like any other sin, it's a damnable sin, and it talks about that, I think, in Galatians 5 or Galatians 6, I forget, but actually has a, a list of damnable sins, and one of them is the Greek word heresis. I know you don't hear Christians talk about that, they don't take heresy seriously. But one of the most important things to understand, it's not just that Christians are increasingly becoming corrupted. Well, we become corrupted, by the way. But every decade that goes by, <clears throat> Christians become more liberal. I mean, we don't even know what liberal and conservative is. Those terms, are, you might as well just throw them out. You see? But who has the authoritative definition? But every decade that goes by, they take heresy less seriously. And so do pastors. That's why they don't excommunicate people, typically, for, uh, for heresy. In fact, pastors don't even know what heresy is. That's how bad it is. I've talked about that before. They're, it's the same problem with uh, theologians. Now, it's kind of shocking if you hear this the first time. They are unable to distinguish between a church heresy and a biblical heresy. Isn't it true that most Christians have a firm belief that if you deny the doctrine of the Trinity, that's a heresy. You're not even a Christian. Isn't that what they believe? Where's that in the Bible? Because they'll say, well, my faith is based on the Bible. Uh-oh, you're in trouble now. That verse is nowhere in the Bible anyway. That's a church heresy from a church council. What's that have to do with the Bible? Nothing. Same thing that Jesus talked about, traditions of men. That's what Christianity is. That's why you'll notice that your religion, I have to point this out over and over, don't I? It consistently contradicts the Bible. 
to a remarkable degree, by the way. So if someone just tells you, you just got to get plugged in, brother, you know, and the blessings are going to flow, they're just going to flow down from heaven. All you got to do is just receive, brother, because God wants to give it to you. Did you know that's what they believe? That is what they believe. And if it doesn't work that way, that's because you're a screw-up. You're giving the devil a foothold or something you're not doing right at your end. And we've talked about many times, it's basically the opposite. So I just want to say, too, the reason it doesn't make any sense that the Great Tribulation extends from the first century up until our time, you'll see this, Ezekiel 34. What is Ezekiel 34 referring to? The period from the first century at the very latest, by the way, because it could refer back even earlier, and that's not a problem. Uh, up until our day, and it still hasn't uh, ended because you've got this Davidic figure again, and it says the people don't have a shepherd, which is perfectly consistent with what I've been teaching over and over and emphasizing. Okay? Where's the leader? Christianity, by the way. Some people thought it was Billy Graham. Well, he's dead, so who's next? See anybody? Seriously. There isn't anybody, is there? Now, if you actually had a leader from God that's described in Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 37, he would stand out like a sore thumb. He'd be on another level, wouldn't he? Where is this person? It's obvious that he hasn't arrived yet. So it says that he will arrive, and he will be shepherd over them. So they are going to have a shepherd. And I've talked about before how this conflicts with the Christian view that, you know, Christ is my shepherd. That's a different subject. It has to do with individuals. We're talking about corporately. That's the key. Okay? Corporately, God's people, whatever you want to call them, the church, Israel, or both, they don't have a shepherd. You can see that, can't you? But they're going to get one, and it says his name will be David. Now, has that happened yet? No. So that means that we're still in this period, which was going on century after century. And what does this have to do with one of the number one subjects we talk about over and over again, the diaspora? Now, what is the diaspora? Well, it's a number of things. It has to do with God dispersing his people. It's a historical event. Nobody denies that. But it has to do with a period of probation. Now, actually, the Bible teaches different periods of probation. And in the big picture, the period of probation began in Genesis 3. It's still ongoing. The fall has not been resolved. We're all under a curse. Some of this many times. Christians are either in denial of that or just put it back and don't think about it. Okay? Anyway, the reason I bring this up, because the reason that people have problems understanding the Great Tribulation, now this is in Revelation 7 with a definite article, um, is this long period in Ezekiel 34 is because it's the diaspora, which I've said before has different 
stages. The first stage had it actually to do with the northern kingdom going into captivity in Assyria. Then there was a later stage that had to do with Judah going into exile. And then there were lesser diasporas after that, and they weren't necessarily negative. There were large Jewish communities in northern Africa. And eventually there was a large uh, Jewish community in we call Iberia, which later became Spain. And I think they may have had more Jews per capita than any other country in Europe. Pretty sure that's true because that just rings on it lately. And during the time of uh, Christopher Columbus, you had Queen Isabella and Queen, uh, Queen <laughs> King Ferdinand. <laughs> Maybe he was a tranny, huh? Um, <clears throat> be surprised. <clears throat> oh, a lot of those marriages are fake, by the way. It's for public consumption. They don't practice traditional marriage. Come on, Illuminati. But uh, Queen Isabella was only 18, and uh, they gave this decree uh, that began with called the Spanish Inquisition which is another psyop, because every time you say that, it makes it appear as if the Inquisition was a lesser event than it really was. It had to do with Spain. Actually, it was much more encompassing than that. (laughs) And it went on for a longer time than they said. And uh, she gave an they gave an edict that all of the Jews had to leave Spain. And it's an interesting concept because um, you probably have not heard this before, but they weren't actually persecuting Jews according to what we know. They were actually persecuting what we call Messianic Jews who are actually Christians. You can actually look that up. People just assume this. Um, It actually had to do with converts who had remnants of what the um, Inquisition perceived to be Jewish practices. Okay? They wanted a completely Hellenized religion. And so they were persecuting Christians, not Jews. Now, the Christians could be um, Jewish, or they may not be. I'm talking about, you know, a bloodline. Either way. I may have made a mistake earlier um, in Revelation 1-7 when I said uh, the, um, the word tribulation there as the definite article, because for some reason I, I circled that. And uh, it may not have um, the definite article. I, so I'm going to retract that. And um, I'm, I'm certain that in Revelation 7, it says the tribulation. Um, but what's important is that John is acknowledging that they're already in the tribulation. They're already in tribulation. It's already begun. And the reason I said that is because uh, people need to acknowledge that. They were already in tribulation. 
and they were waiting for deliverance. And what was the deliverance that was promised? The second advent. The Christians believed that, well, they went into tribulation and uh, God didn't help them. That's what Christians believe. Did you know that? And we're still waiting for Jesus to come, aren't we? Did you know that these people in tribulation were given specific promises? Let's look at one of them. First Thessalonians. Uh, I will see see when I get there. I don't know if it's, which Thessalonians it is. <clears throat> i got to get my glasses on. I think it's second Thessalonians. <clears throat> Remember, people have a futuristic mindset. This is almost all conservative Christians. Where everything is in the future, it's unfulfilled. <clears throat> like I said before, this has to do with audience relevance. Who is he speaking to? Well, uh, what you need to ask yourself is, who is he speaking to primarily? Christians have this magical belief that... Um, He's speaking to the people of that day and the church in every century equally. In other words, he's not speaking to them more than he's speaking to us. This is completely absurd. This is what they believe. I've talked about before, there's a number of important passages where he's just speaking to his disciples. And Christians twist the text and apply it to the church in totality. That way, it can apply to them. Okay. In Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, I'm going to go to verse 4. It says, Therefore, among God's churches we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. It's the same thing John's talking about. He says, all this is evidence, evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. What is it Christians don't like to acknowledge this kind of thing is happening in their life? God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Now, right there you see there's a promise from God. Remember that the promises of God are trustworthy, right? To people in tribulation. Remember that Jesus told his own disciples, in this world you will have many tribulations. He didn't promise all these blessings that they do today. In a, we'll call it pseudo Christianity, okay? Because it's not genuine. He's giving them a promise of relief. That's their lifetime, isn't it? Yes. It has to do with deliverance. Now watch how the deliverance occurs. And give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when. The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire, 
with his powerful angels. Does that sound like the second advent? Yeah. Does that sound like it's imminent? Well, yes, unless you distort the text, like Christians do. You know, in the book of Titus, it talks about the great hope. Okay? And what is this great hope? Second advent. Christians have a false hope. Now, the reason they do this is because they don't understand that there was a first century advent, and they don't understand that there is reason for hope. All right? God's going to gather his people. It's right there in the scriptures. He's going to gather them to one place from all over the world, and then they're going to go on a journey just like they did before. Let's go back to, uh, well, I don't want to do it yet. I'm not going back to uh, Revelation 7. It says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. So you can see there's judgment that's going to fall on the wicked. And they'll be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. That's the second advent, isn't it? Notice how it's in the first century context. <clears throat> oh, what do you know? Okay, so I'm going to go back to Revelation 7 because I was going to point this out. Somewhat remarkably, there is an exodus, and this is not the only place, obviously. I just mentioned Revelation 12. Right in the book of Revelation, this is right in Revelation 7. So it's talking about the great multitude. It says they come out of the great tribulation. We're still in the great tribulation. It's a long period of time. The reason it doesn't make any sense is they consistently misquoted Jesus, who didn't use the definite article. So when we hear the great tribulation, we always think of the latter part of the seven-year tribulation period. That's not a biblical concept. Because Jesus didn't use the definite article. The definite article is used here. It's using to the it's referring to the diasporic, the long period of time. And the definite article is used for emphasis on its duration. You ever heard this before? No. Well, whether you want to believe it or not, I got a revelation on this, by the way. The third revelation I got, theological revelation, way back in 1987. And I had a roommate who prayed a lot. And he prayed so much that the um, other people have reported this kind of thing, but the, the, the room becomes brighter. I witnessed it myself. I don't expect you to believe it, but I witnessed it. And um, at the moment I got this revelation, I realized that the, the Great Tribulation was a long period of time, down through the centuries. Remember, it has to do with the diaspora, period of probation. There you go. It's a parenthesis. This guy was praying in his bedroom. He rushes into the kitchen. Um, the kitchen was kind of had, kind of had an extended room. It kind of had a, like a little, kind of like a dining room. I was sitting at a kind of dining room table. And he said, 
God has just revealed to me that, um, what the heck did he say? He, oh, it's been a long time ago. He either said, uh, God's going to show you a great revelation, or I think he said great revelations, cruel. Yeah, yeah. And you know what he said? I said he just did. Now stop and think about that. You see the timing? You think that wasn't God? This is why people are standoffish. They're not embracing these things. Because they're programmed, like I said recently, to believe what they hear over and over again. Well, if you embrace my worldview, okay, that we live in this slave system, in a technocracy, system of control, and we're the enemy, and they hit us every day with massive propaganda, and the number one target is Christians, that changes everything, doesn't it? That means that unless God intervenes, the most popular opinions about Bible prophecy, the ones that are promoted the most, right? Everybody's heard of them, familiar with them. Oh, yeah. I mean, even, you know, young Christians, they they pick this stuff up very quick. Oh, yeah, the rapture, all this stuff, you know. No. It's all false. Okay? Then the alternative opinion, you never hear. If you do hear it, it's a singular opinion. I've never heard anybody teach this. And you just kind of go, well, yeah. Dave has these unusual ideas. Okay. Well, that's the way it is now. I've said before that um, <clears throat> when God publicizes these things, right now they're going on in the background, right? They're going to be confirmed by signs and wonders. I was just telling Chuck and Jeff yesterday, I realized way back, I think it was, I don't even know, it was a long time ago. Uh, it was in the 2000s. Uh, my friend and I concluded that um, these things were not going to be communicated through argumentation and debate because we realized the people were too dull. And I believe that more than I ever have. Their minds have to be supernaturally illuminated by God. Okay? They have to be confirmed by signs and wonders. Fortunately, that's what the Bible says. It talks about these signs and wonders expressly in Micah 7 and its future. So that makes it easy for you to just take the passage literally. But they will not believe. And uh, the people believed for a time in the first century that everybody loves signs and wonders, don't they? But then the people fell away. And I expect the same thing to happen again. Now, when this figure appears, I predict that he will be widely popular. Okay? Most of these people will fall away. Because God always does the same old thing. You know, in the book of Job, it says that man is tested every day. According to the book of Job, it's 24-7. Then you have these other tests on top of that, like you have these, God would test the patriarchs. He tested Abraham. 
to sacrifice his own son, right? <clears throat> Those are tests on top of other tests. And Christians don't even think like this. Or they probably think, oh, we're in the New Covenant. You know, God's not testing us like he used to in the Old Testament. And the reason they say that, don't you know that the, uh, the New Covenant is superior? Well, we got a little problem here. We're not under the New Covenant. They don't know that. They don't know that it's future. Just like Judaism teaches. So this is the fundamental reason why they believe they have all these wonderful blessings. Because the Bible does teach this in reference to the New Covenant. The problem is we're not under the New Covenant. I said yesterday that I can disprove that in 10 seconds. Just have to phrase a simple question. It's completely unanswerable. There's no Christian authority ever that can answer that question. That's because you have all these important laws in the law of Moses that were an essential part of that culture. And so Christians believe that um, you know, there's radical changes in the new covenant. Okay? And they also believe that all the information is in the Bible. They call it the New Testament. The problem is that's not true. Every single one of these laws has, in the law of Moses has to be dealt with. Should we observe it? Should we not? Or should it be revised? Every single one of these laws that every man was held accountable to. Okay? The Bible doesn't do that. I've gone through a list of these things from show to show. The New Testament, New Covenant Christian religion is based on the establishment of the New Covenant and just collapsed because there's no expert alive or dead that can prove that this information is in the New Testament. It's not there. talk about these things. <clears throat> talk about eunuchs in the New Testament? No, obviously not. Doesn't the Old Testament. So, what if you want to have a eunuch? I'm going to get my Bible out there. Now, that's not compatible with my culture, right? You've got a cultural bias, and we're not going to have eunuchs. But don't worry about eunuchs. They'll be reestablished somewhat remarkably. <laughs> Um, when the house of David is restored. How do we know that? Because it talks about this in the book of Isaiah. The latter part of the book of Isaiah. And it's talking about the Sabbath being restored. And it will be. And it will be required. And if you don't keep the Sabbath, you'll sin. Just like if you don't observe the Feast of uh, Tabernacles in Zechariah 14, you'll sin and God will punish you. It actually says he'll punish you. You'll have a drought. Okay? <clears throat> These things have been taken away from us. People don't know that because they think they're under the New Covenant. I mean, if you think you're under the, the New Covenant and you think that the uh, Sabbath is eternal, then obviously you're going to think it uh, applies right now. But it doesn't. 
and the word eternal is a mistranslation. Uh, probably of the word aeon, which can sometimes mean eternal. Uh, but as far as I know, only when it refers to God. So anyway. <clears throat> problems, problems everywhere. That's the religion that we call Christianity. So when people hear the unfamiliar, what do you think their reaction will be? They'll be standoffish. It has to be promoted. It has to be publicized. They have to feel comfortable with it. Okay? Well, actually, God's not going to do that, but he is going to confirm it through signs and wonders. Christians will be persecuted to some degree. Every single year that goes by, Christians become weirder and weirder in the mind of the average citizen. This is true. And um, it's gotten so bad, a lot of Christians don't realize. They've already been ostracized by society. They don't like us, and they don't really want anything to do with us. And some of the crazy stuff that's going on out there right now is absolutely unbelievable. The blasphemy. I mean, it's like it's breaking historical records. I give some examples right now. But, um... Are you there, Chuck? Sometimes I have to unmute people because they get bounced out of the room. No, I'm here. Okay. Matthew, I'm lost. Uh, Central California, that might be uh, Matt. Yeah, Matt. Okay. I was talking about Virgo and, and Leo. So, now, the good news is, um, I believe that these are positive things. The uh, August eclipse, that had to do with judgment on America. It's so obvious. You know, if you have an ancient perspective that that's an omen corrected in America. Now, this one is different. Um, they're saying it passes over Israel, but we don't believe that that is the, uh, the Holy Land. We believe that it was uh, in Western Turkey. And that, uh, again, most Christians never heard this before. And that Istanbul, or earlier Constantinople, was actually Jerusalem, or that approximate area. Does not be directly over it. And uh, how do you prove that belong, by the way? I don't want to digress in this. I've come up with this recently, but you cannot prove with the Bible that um, what we call Palestine. That's a term, by the way. Maybe it's an older term. Is the Holy Land. can't do that with the Bible. 
what we're saying. What if there was a conspiracy from Satan and Illuminati to take away the Holy Land from God's people during the time of the Crusades when they could do it because it was illegal to travel and they stole that away too. You think Satan would want to do that? Of course he wanted to do that. So it always comes down to just one simple thing. Did God allow it? That's all it comes down to. Maybe God allowed that. Can you prove that he didn't with the Bible? You can't do that. Now, I believe that you can pretty much prove with the Bible that that is what happened. But you can't prove exactly where it is. It's somewhat curious, isn't it, that in the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the churches all have to do with the country that we call today Turkey. Did you know that that's a fact? And all scholars that I've ever heard of acknowledge that. They have no problem with that. Isn't that interesting? That all the churches are in Turkey. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, I'll move on here, but uh, <clears throat> that's an inferior land there. The Bible speaks about the beautiful land, right? And uh, that land is inferior. The desert region and... Uh, <clears throat> Another trick of the devil. Okay, so let me go back to Revelation 7 before we move on here and actually show you that there's an exodus. And who's leading the exodus? The Lamb of God. Who's that? We know who that is, right? Did you know the Christians ignore this passage? Remember, this has to do with the great multitude. Um... Verse 7.15, it says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on his throne will spread his tent over them. I'm not going to exegete this thing in uh, detail because there's an obvious way to show that this is not a heavenly exodus. Do you really think that Jesus is going to lead a heavenly exodus of the great multitude from point A to point B in heaven? Is that what you think? Now, in the Bible, there's passages that are difficult to understand. Paul talks about the elect being seated with Christ in heaven. You familiar with that one? Okay. Do you think he was speaking literally? No. Now, I hold to the theory that he's actually talking about your angel, which you will be blended with at the resurrection, another lost doctrine. Jesus taught it, clearly. He said at the resurrection, you will be equal with angels. So you either become an angel, called angelification, that's a technical term, or... You're blended with your angel. Christians don't know they have a personal angel because they stole that away too. Take your pick. In Valentinian Gnosticism, which is a completely different type of Gnosticism, not even Gnosticism, by the way. That's another subject. They acknowledged physical resurrection, unlike the other Gnostics. They denied it. Okay? And this is exactly what they taught. You'd be blended together with your angel. You want to use the term angel? Jesus has been around a long time. 
Now, I believe that that was the orthodox belief, and it was just a common belief, and it was, I don't know if everybody knew it, but we've never even heard of this before. Like I said before, notice that Christians ignore that passage. They ignore one thing after another, just like Jehovah's Witnesses do. I said earlier, the Christian religion conflicts with the Bible. And one of the reasons is, is because there's so much lost knowledge. Matthew 17, 11 indicates that. That this religion would conflict with Scripture, with God's truth. How could it not? If Elijah has to come and restore everything, then according to Jesus, everything is corrupted somehow, whether you understand that or not. How could everything be corrupted? I've talked about that before. So at the very least, he's prophesying a corrupt religion. Well, this corrupt religion is the religion that the people of God observe. It talks about this corrupt religion, which has to do with the traditions of men in Isaiah 29. And I believe it's a prophecy of Christianity, just like 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, is also a prophecy of Christianity. And what does it say? talking about false teachings that come from demons through hypocritical liars. Who are the hypocritical liars? I hate to inform you. Today we call them pastors. In Ezekiel 34, they're called shepherds. Did you know that's the correct translation of the word pastor in the Bible? It means shepherd. It's translated that way, that way elsewhere. Like I said before, the word pastor is not a biblical term. It's like the word angel. That's never even found in the singular. It's only found one time in a list of different offices or giftings. Okay? This is pastor's plural. What does the Bible say? Paul is writing to elders. Right? Look at the epistles. Is that what Christians believe? No. A plurality of elders governing the church? No. I don't know. You see that? Holy, you're conflicting with Scripture. Well, yeah, they do that right down the line. And uh, do they critique their religion? No. They critique other groups within their religion. Christianity is an umbrella term, right? And then they all declare by default that their group they're, they call them a denomination, right? Is superior. Is this true? Or am I missing something? Because if you thought another group was superior, then you'd join that group. You know, people figure out that, you know, that's 24, teaches first century Advent. So I'm going to become a preterist. I'm going to join a new group. Okay? And my group is better than your group. And I'm going to uh, join a Christian uh, identity. Because all these churches are corrupt, they're all asleep, they don't acknowledge the biblical teaching of bloodlines. And then they want to think that they're superior. And boy, do they ever. 
But that's a religion of pride. Those two different groups, you deal with those people. I've said this before. Those are some of the most unspiritual people I've ever seen professing to be Christians. Smokers, drinkers, fornicators, cussing and swearing. Why are they in these groups? Because they're attracted to them um, because they have a spiritual defect and they want to exalt themselves and believe they're superior. And the Illuminati, forget about them. Satan knows exactly what he's doing. He's feeding their ego. You see people that get involved with these groups, full of pride. And they believe that they're superior to you. And uh, they're most likely going to go to hell. There's a type of preterism, a very small group. It's called a literal preterist. A literal preterist. Very few. And they actually acknowledge what's called the big three. Okay? They believe in the literal second advent. And they believe in the literal... Resurrection. And um, like I said before, you have, you have to do that. Um, somewhat curiously, there's nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to believe in a, a literal second advent. Christians would assume that that's an essential doctrine. It's nowhere found in the Bible that you have to believe that. You know what I mean? They would assume that, just like they say, well, you know, of course, the Bible says you have to believe in the Trinity. Give me a verse. All right, so back to these celestial signs. Um, It's important to understand that the planet Venus has to do with hierarchy. It has to do with Gabriel. Okay? You have a hierarchy among the seven who stand before the throne. I've talked about this in detail. And they're each represented by one of these primary stars. Now, you'll actually notice in the book of Revelation, at some point, they're actually referred to as stars. You see, that's the ancient concept that each star had a celestial being associated with it. That's the historical context behind that principle, which has been lost. Christians don't believe that anymore. It was stolen away as well. Okay, so there's a hierarchy among the seven. They're not equal. Michael is superior to Gabriel. Gabriel is superior to Raphael. Raphael is superior to Uriel. Run down the line. And there's a big drop-off. I can't readily prove this. Between the seventh and the eighth. They have seven female consorts. This is what we call the inner family. They're very lofty. Uh, But they're on an upper tier among the 70... And the number 40, 140 comes into play because they have 70 consorts. 
and there's a quaternity of beads, which somewhat curiously comes to the number 144. I suppose that's supposed to be a big coincidence. Again, I have not seen anybody, even though I've mentioned this several years ago, take what I just said and do something with it. Can you put that on YouTube? And people say, well, they've never heard of you, Dave. Oh, yeah, they have. Because I say all kinds of things that are, quote, unquote, crazy around here that stir people up. And what they do, like I said, they, they email their Internet hero. These young millennials, they have an Internet hero. Okay? They want their Internet hero to get involved. Um, sometimes they just want to um, throw this kind of stuff by an authority because, like I said, we need to get a reaction about somebody. You know, Dave is saying these unusual things. Can we get a comment from the peanut gallery? No. What do we have? The wall of silence. This has a dampening effect on the human mind, which is how they program. Programmed to watch television. It's programmed to be entertainment-based. Uh, you got to have results. If what Dave is saying is the truth, God should come out there and promote it. It should spread like wildfire. Is that happening? No. But I say before, it's two distinct stages. God begins in the background in accordance with Amos 3.7. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants to prophets. That's, that's the pattern historically. Christians expect God to violate that pattern for the first time in redemptive history. Are they, do they have an expectation of authoritative prophet coming? Before Jesus comes in the clouds, okay? Now, this is something that's supposed to happen. Future second advent? No. We've already proved that. But the, the prophet is supposed to come. Jesus said Elijah will come. He's not talking, talking about John the Baptist because John the Baptist is already dead. So this is something that is supposed to happen. Right? Do Christians know about that? No. They believe in something that's not supposed to happen. You see that? See how bad this is? See, the problem is you have to go Error after error after error. We're doing this show after show after show. How long does it take to do this? And you go back to normality. You know what I mean? You hit the same old thing over and over again. And it's just like um, it's like the soothing trance. And people put their trust in what? The familiar. Because to do anything else would be risk-taking. Well, that's Okay. I believe that time is on uh, God's side, actually. This is God's task. Look, at in this idiocracy with these frozen minds on full-blown mind control, I'm not even talking about demons yet, <clears throat> what do you expect? Jesus couldn't do it. Jesus performed signs and wonders. Did he convince the majority that he was the Messiah? No. The remnant believed. And even some of them 
temporarily fell away, didn't they? They're called the disciples. He had 70 disciples apart from them. John chapter 6, what happened to them? He gave them a hard teaching. They couldn't comprehend it. They all fell away. Go look it up in John 666, somewhat curiously. Okay? And what happened to the 12? They fell away too, didn't they? Did you know Jesus prophesied that? He said, you all fall away. He was left all alone. Now, this is the guy that was confirming God's doctrine with signs and wonders. He was abandoned by everybody. Did you know that he was abandoned by his own family? By his own mother? You never hear that, do you? Right there in the Bible. This was in an earlier part of his life. I don't know where the verse is at, but it says his family went to take possession of him because they thought he was out of his mind. Now, notice it doesn't put limitations on that, so that would include his mother and Joseph. It's, I'm not sure if Joseph is still on. It says his family didn't put limitations on it. It talks about his brothers. They didn't believe, okay? Despite the fact that James later became the, what we call the Bishop of Jerusalem. You see that in Acts 15. He had preeminence as far as authority over Paul and over Peter. You don't hear that either. <clears throat> Obviously, according to Matthew 17, 11, this religion, which you just kind of plug into and get the blessings, is a distortion of the truth. As far as... um you know, a reliable body of truth. We don't have that. And that's not a scriptural principle for the present time. Well, that's unfortunate for Christians because this is what they believe. This doesn't make any sense because when you actually get down to it, they typically only believe that their group has the truth. Because all these groups have conflict, right? <clears throat> so it's their group based on their delusion and their ego. And that has to be true because they can't all be correct, right? Christianity is the most divisive religion in world history. And you can prove that statistically. No, I do not believe that there's 33,000 denominations like the Illuminati says. They're exaggerating. It's like they exaggerate the world population. Why wouldn't they exaggerate to make it look worse? They're in the business of making Christians look bad. You know what I mean? The Christians have this simplistic view. They use Christianity as an umbrella term, overarching. And Christianity is the one true religion. Where actually, this is not compatible with the Bible at all. It doesn't talk about denominations. It doesn't use the word cult. And it doesn't even use the word religion. Somewhat surprisingly, that's just an English translation. It uses the word sect, doesn't it? 
We don't like to use that term. We use it a little bit, and it's kind of like a little bit better than a cult, isn't it? Sometimes we use it not too much. But notice that we don't use the biblical term. We use weaponized terms. You can completely and utterly dismantle Christianity with very little effort if you have knowledge. Why should this be surprising? What does Matthew 17, 11 tell you about the nature of Christianity? <laughs> okay? Figure it out. It's corrupt. The people are deceived. Why should we be so surprised um, the Israelites were in the same state? Similar. I believe we're even worse. You know something? God sent authoritative prophets to his people, and the record testifies that they rejected him, right? But at least they got to hear the truth. Do we get to hear the truth? Prove to me who these authoritative uh, mouthpieces are from God. See, we hold to a greater delusion. We don't need them. This is what Christians believe. We don't, we don't need them. We don't need a prophet. Did you know that they teach this? You know why? We have the Holy Spirit. That's what they say over and over again. What have I said about these childlike beliefs? Dave is always saying so many nasty things. Well, you know something? You could say the same thing about the, uh, the ancient prophets. It's like, don't you ever have anything good to say? Uh, forget about man. Let's go to God. Look at God. Go to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah is so incredibly negative. Christians can't even read it, but they don't want to admit that to you. I don't like that book. But they won't tell you that, will they? The whole thing is about judgment. How many chapters there in Jeremiah was like 52 or something? It's too negative. Isaiah's got some positivity in there, right? What is is the book of Jeremiah? It's a reflection of God's attitude and his assessment of his own, here we go, chosen people. And it's negative, isn't it? We don't think God is that way. Now, we like to think, oh, well, God was different back then. You know, we're into the the New Covenant. God's... um, He's different now or something, isn't he? He's not so mean. (laughs) Anyway. Childlike beliefs. Why should we be surprised? You have the biblical concept of a spiritual child. 1 Corinthians 2, Hebrews chapter 5. Now remember, like I said before, These spiritual children who were spiritually undeveloped, they couldn't handle the deep things of the Word of God. Guess what? They were guided by the apostles. See that? Governed by the apostles. Yet they were spiritual infants. What about these people today that are not governed by the apostles? 
that there's no authority out there that's trustworthy. There's no mouthpiece of God. It wasn't Ellen G. White. Okay? What about these people? Modern Christianity is the most confused religion in the world. Put divisive. Divisive. It's true. Statistically. You actually can't prove it wrong. And Christians just ignore this. You know, other people see this and they go, man, man. Christians whitewash everything. That's a human tendency. Uh, the Israelites did the same thing. We have the best religion in the world. Well, that's true. But it's all corrupt. That's the part they don't get. So anyway, there's changes that are coming. And uh, I really want to emphasize that you had this tetrad of blood moons back in uh, 2014, 2015, and there was all this brouhaha, all this big hoopla. Popular books were written. You know, Mark Blitz uh, manufactured a career for himself. John Hagee wrote, go look at how popular this book was. It's unbelievable. It was like a bestseller. You know what I mean? See, this is popular religion. Okay? And what were they do? They're talking about the rapture coming. At that time. Now, I believe that John Hagee is on a payroll. Uh, I'm convinced of that. Um, <clears throat> Mark Blitz acts like he is. But it doesn't really matter. I have my own opinion about all that. And uh, I'm backing off. This just has to do with getting older and a little wiser. You're supposed to get a little wiser when you get older. Um, if I come out and say somebody's an agent, I better be right. Because if I'm wrong, I slandered them. You see that? So we have, well, I've, I've said this, that we have spent, I've done this at different stages. I was doing this 20 years ago. Developing folders on people that I thought were agents. But then we started getting revelation on people. We still do that. But I am not, I'm more reluctant to, to publicize it. John Hagee, I have no problem whatsoever saying he's an agent. First of all, <clears throat> he's not even a Christian. Okay? He's a fake. Um, he's a heretic. Can't even understand the basics of uh, God's salvation plan. Did you know that he <clears throat> proclaims that, <clears throat> that the Jews can be saved apart from Christ? You can go Google that. Does that sound like a heresy to you? I mean, these are simple, basic Bible teachings, right? You can't bypass Christ. You have to go through Christ. And you understand that, Pastor Hagee? He understands that. He understands that perfectly well. He's out there skewing lies uh, to bring other people to hell along with him. And you can well wonder what his true religious beliefs are in the background. I guarantee you they have nothing to do with Christianity. 
just like all these politicians that play all these different roles. They all belong to the same coven, and they have the same beliefs. And uh, Satanists are very good actors. That's an important element of their religion. Uh, when you're born in that religion, your parents are actors. They're the white picket fence people, friendliest people in the neighborhood, top people in your local church. Oh, you better believe it. Outstanding people without EFA. Isn't that wonderful? They know how to put on a really good show. And you know the number one people they're trying to fool? Simple-minded Christians, and boy, have they ever done a good job. I said before, is there one single Christian authority before the Internet era, just making it easy, and they talked about infiltration from a uh, highly funded and organized group Historically, who is this person? There's nobody. How could you have all these Christian authorities be that naive? It has to do with this period of probation that we're in. Blindness is the norm. Okay? We're talking about different levels of blindness. It's true that every man receives illumination. <clears throat> when he becomes converted, right? We all know that, right? The Bible speaks about different levels. In John chapter 1, another passage that Christians ignore, it's, it's talking about the Son of God, and it says that he gives light to every man coming into the world. That doesn't make any sense to a Christian. Well, it makes sense if you understand that everything is luminous, there's different types of light, Every, all entities are light beings. When we talk about darkness, that has to do with a murky light, not the complete absence of light. Christians don't know that. They would think that Satan has to do with the total absence of light. No. They couldn't prove that anyway. But everything that God created emanates light. I've talked about that before, so... <clears throat> So the celestial objects are emanating light. And um, we're supposed to interpret them. Wouldn't that be the conclusion based on Genesis chapter 1? Because it says that they are set in the heavens as signs. Well, if they're a sign, then you have to interpret them. And so, unfortunately, we do have people that are interpret these things. <clears throat> and um, as a general rule, their interpretations are false right on down the line. But they don't have the ability. And the reason is that ability is actually a gift from God that he gives to one man and not another. So, as I look around, do I see a single figure who is able to do this with any degree of accuracy, I don't see anybody. First of all, the typical Christian, uh, you know, at the local church level, they don't even pay attention to stuff. They've never even heard of the gospel of the stars. They go, what? Never even heard. Okay? The concept for that, by the way, is that each one of these stars has a name, an ancient name, and that communicates a basic truth. 
Now, unfortunately, you can't prove any of this. I'll be the first to admit that. Okay? All I can say is that um, it's kind of like the book of Jasher. Believe it or not, that's genuine, according to what we've been told. Uh, it's non-canonical work, but it has um, you know, corruption problems. Same thing with these names. You're going to have corruption problems. You can actually see this. These individual stars. For instance, um, Gemini. There's good evidence that Gemini originally represented, here we go, a couple, a male and a female. And then later it was corrupted to two males. And it actually names these two males in the book of Acts. This has to do with... um, I think when Paul was on the ship, I think they had these carvings into the that represented these two gods. They got corrupted along the way. But um, that's the basic understanding is that these stars were all named. And Adam and Enoch and probably Moses would have known the names. And they got corrupted along the way, but God only allowed so much corruption. See, a lot of times God doesn't allow everything to be swept away. He just allows it to be, to suffer significant corruption. He's not preserving it. This is what Christians believe, by the way. It's a magical belief. You know? No. Look around. First of all, look at this society. Where do you see anything that's pristine, or pure. Did you know those things originate with God? What is God doing to preserve things in a pristine manner? I mentioned one, the seven-day week. Mention a second thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's a difficult one. Mention a second thing. Hmm. Um, Matthew, are you uh, on the call here in Central California? I was wondering if somebody is. Uh, yeah, Dave, I'm right now. I'm just listening to your uh, discourse. You could help us out if you go to uh, outside and uh, have you seen Mars yet in the night sky? Yeah, I'm just you right seen, now. I'm just have you listening. seen it? What did you say? I'm sorry. Have you seen Mars in the night sky yet? Uh, yeah. In my apartment building, we have a guy that's from the uh, aerospace here in Hawthorne, California. He had his telescope out uh, the other uh, last night, so uh, he was looking for that and some other things as well. Uh, things are going to get complicated here unless we save this for the the show with Emily, which we'll hopefully do this in midweek. <clears throat> it's up to her. She just has to contact me. Um, yeah. But it appears to be moving around. Now, Chuck didn't see that. Channing mentioned it as soon as he looked at it. And I didn't say anything about it moving around. He determined this by its own. In other words, I didn't influence him. And he, he kind of 
let out an outburst like, whoa. Also, Chuck, when Channing looked at it, he said it was emitting rays, and he said it was orange. Mm-hmm. That you said that it, it becomes uh, more reddish through the course of the night, right? Yeah, yeah. Another hour, hour and a half now. Uh-huh. If, uh, if I didn't see it, it gets really big. Or did it anyway, three nights ago. Mm-hmm. Before we uh, uh, wait too long here. By the way, I haven't looked at the... Um, the path of this eclipse, they, they, they follow a path, right? Uh, it may go over uh, western Turkey. That would be important, at least according to my belief system. Um, but anyway, everyone needs to know that Mars has to do with war. Okay? Now, Chuck... Um, <clears throat> I don't think it's necessary to have revelation, but I just wanted to get a confirmation of what I concluded. And we asked, if, first of all, if it was an omen. Remember that? It's pretty obvious it's an omen. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. And if it was um, a bad omen that had to do with war, and we were told yes. Now, why should this be so remarkable? Well, guess what? Um, this happened... 15 years ago, now this is the closest approach of Mars to, to Earth, happened 15 years ago. And what happened at that time? We actually went to war with Iraq. I had to look this up. Because I thought it happened, I thought we went to war in 2001 after 9-11. It kind of makes it, you kind of remember that. But it was, there was two uh, Iraqi wars, right? But it actually happened in 2003 and that was the last time that Mars made this close of an approach to Earth. Now today we um, ignore omens and portents. Portents are there in Revelation 12. Okay. And um, it's not compatible with science. So when you get your education, you know, finest curriculum in the land, uh, what do they do to equip you to interpret omen? Do anything. They don't even acknowledge omens. You should not be surprised that um, there's no authority out there to do this. It's a lost ability. You see that? I talked about the Magi earlier. You know what I mean? They they were skilled in this kind of thing. If you take the text literally. They actually traveled to um, Jerusalem based on their interpretation of the stars. Is that what the text says? Yes. You see anybody around here doing that kind of thing today? No. Now, one of the reasons is, like I said earlier, the constellations are all corrupted. Okay despite the fact that they're still using the older geocentric model somewhat curiously, um, there's still too many problems with the objects in the sky. For instance, like I said, they got Pluto is... Um, Pluto is... Um, it's kind of confusing. Um, I don't know. What's the official status? They said it was a planet, but then... Um, I'm not sure what the... Yeah, astrophysicists... They're, 
I'm not sure what the official status of um, Pluto is right now. It's been brought into question whether it's a planet. So anyway, they, they made the Earth into a planet. Third rock from the sun. And uh, everything's confusing. So it's not surprising that um, they can't interpret the signs. Not only that, you got the artificial night sky up there. Which we're going to have to talk about. This would be a good time to talk about it. The last also, podcast, yeah. Also, I just want to. I think there there could be possibly a sun simulator as well behind the sun. I think they have the technology too to have a sun sim, sun simulator too, Dave. I'm not trying to interrupt your discourse, but I just no. I, I believe in an artificial sun. Uh, I don't know much about it because I haven't asked. There's a there's um, a uh, there's a physicist named Dr. Albert Alberts. She's a lady, I think uh-huh. from Germany or England. She's done a discourse and study on how the uh, sun is artificial, and it's a simulation. They have a projection to create the sun as a like the real natural sun, instead of the sun is like decaying and dying or something like that. Uh, if you can look up Dr. Uh, Alberts. A L B T E R S. Uh, she has a YouTube channel too, as well. Sometimes she does discourses on that. Okay. Well, we, we believe that these um, objects are—they um, still exist, you know, natural objects, but they have um, simulated objects. And Chuck, I think we asked one question about this. Do you remember asking about this at all? As if there was an artificial sun. Um, boy, I can't remember. Um, yeah, I know. Think on that one. I thought we did, but I don't have any clear recall of it. But anyway, I, I I do believe that, but I don't believe that they have permission to utilize it as much as the false moon, the artificial moon. Uh, that's really obvious. But it's uh, it's much more complicated how they would pull that off. I'm just thinking about all that, but yeah, I, I do believe that that's this possibility an artificial sun, but I still believe the real sun is there. Sometimes they veil it. Um, I'm not even sure if this is true at all, so it's just theoretical with me. Now with the moon, I'm totally convinced. I, I believe that you can prove it because it's it's too erratic, its placement in the sky, and it's so obvious that they're actually telling you that it's false. They're trying to see if people were paying attention. And I, I think that um, the celestial beings actually do it. You know, I do believe that the AI is involved with the artificial night sky. So I need to talk about the artificial night sky. Um, but before I do that, um, I want to just you know reiterate, uh, well, initially here, emphasize that um, this is a pretty obvious portent of war. Statistically, it's completely off the charts that Mars could be at its closest approach to Earth on the same day as the blood moon. What? Now, as a conspiracy theorist, the first thing I'd want to know is, oh, here, is this a real moon? It'd be fake moon. You see that? And it was all artificial. Because if that's not true, 
this is staring you right in the face that God is doing this. Now, see, Christians don't understand that the, there are signs in the heavens that communicate truth. Remember, we're living in a period of time where we don't have an authority to, to interpret these signs, these omens. If you understood that, then you would be um, on my side going, yeah, we need some revelation. We need some revelation. You say, well, of course. These abilities are lost, okay? But Mars has to do with war. We all know that. And the angel for Mars is Raphael. And we ran a check on that last week. um, Uriel, Gabriel has to do with Venus. Michael has to do with Mercury. Remember I said they all have a different um, position, standing in hierarchy? They're not equal. Nobody's equal. That's why the Satan said everybody's equal. That's why curses believe everybody's equal, because that's that's a lie. It's a 180-degree lie, opposite. Nothing is precisely equal. And uh, so their rank has to do with their individual star and its uh, its closeness to the sun, relationship to the sun as far as distance, you see. And, of course, the sun has to do with the Son of God. And most Christians are unfamiliar that there's um, about six or seven passages that reveal this to a certain degree. They're not all like proof texts. Some of them are, though. Some of them are less clear. Okay? But that is his, do you want to call it a star? Okay? And then we get confused with the moon because they took away the feminine. But what does the Bible say? Christians say, well, my faith is based on the Bible. Well, did you know that the Bible teaches that the moon is feminine? Yes, because it refers to her. First, it was her two different times. You see? And so you have this concept of the nine, which is very, very important. You know, the Egyptians had a pantheon. We look at the free Masonic uh, symbolism, and what do you see? You see two piers, excuse me, two pillars, and you see seven stars. It's staring you right in the face. Now, they have a dark hierarchy. So you would have to theorize that is it referring to their hierarchy or our hierarchy? And actually, you would probably think it's theirs. So if you look at these two pillars, they have a sun and they have a moon right next to the pillars. They typically have that. And who would that sun be? Did you know that Satan has a star? All the Elohim have stars. And actually, that star is sacred, so they're going to create all this confusion about that star. And you're not going to be able to get the truth about it because there's lost knowledge. Uh, But nevertheless... YouTube is going to forge ahead, believing that they can acquire the truth without revelation, and just spit it out on their monetized YouTube channels. So this is why there's all discussion about, you know, Nibiru, Planet X. But I'm actually telling you that, that's it. 
But the things that they say have very little truth in them. You know I mean? And uh, we were told that it's wormwood. Why should we be so surprised? Um, this week there was a big discussion because uh, Jeff asked me a question about Abaddon. This has to do with Revelation 9. Um, it, it's a variant of the term Apollo. We know that because it's also referred to Apollyon in Greek. Apollo is Satan. This doesn't make any sense to a Christian at all. I don't know if I want to get into that tonight, because they probably be talking about it for quite a while. We'll probably run out of time. <clears throat> but the so-called mythology is actually right there in the Bible, right there in the book of Revelation. It talks about Hades is a, a personal entity in Revelation 6 and Revelation 20. Christians completely ignore that. That's the um, entity in the Persephone myth, so-called. See that? They sigh out to you with that? Oh, it's a myth. Okay. Same thing with Apollo. And, uh, anyway. Just like they have constellations there in Revelation 12 of Draco and Virgo. See, that's foreign to the typical Christian mind. They don't see that. That's kind of way out there, you know. Yeah, so um, I, I just want to emphasize that um, there is a very strong tendency. Uh, you'll find yourself being drawn to this kind of thing. Uh, first of all, people look at this, you know, July 27th as a doom date. Sure enough, you got people at the end of the world. A lot of those people are agents. They do this right on down the line. They did it with um, August 21st last year. That's to discredit the whole thing. They did it with the December... Uh, 21st in 2012. And they say, see, nothing happened. Life goes on as usual. And everyone's supposed to go back to sleep. Because nothing happened. Now, are they going to tell you that anything happened? No. The PSYOP is nothing happened and the doomsayers were all false. Just move along with your life. Nothing to see here. Shuffle along. That is the PSYOP, you see. Now, you can understand Obviously, they're not going to interpret any kind of celestial signs in a secular humanist society that's ruled by science. The scientists themselves are completely ignorant. They're so ignorant, they can't even figure out that it's an artificial night sky up there. Okay? This is a huge subject. If we don't have time to talk about it, we'll talk about it when Emily is on. Because we've got some new important updates with all that. Um, okay, so on to that subject. Basically, I discovered this uh, back in the 1990s. I went on Daniel's Ott show. Uh, he has quite a following. So no one can say that people have not heard. They have heard. I went on his show not once but twice. Back in January and I think February of 2015, somewhat curiously, at the very same time that um, the experts say, these are the flat earth experts, that the flat earth movement began, and we're talking about an internet movement, okay? Because you did have the flat earth society for that 20th century. Happened right at that time. In fact, I was just telling Jeff yesterday, 
that um, and God told me that I could not uh, reveal the cloud behind the moon phenomena. There's also a cloud behind the sun. By the way, this is kind of funny. I put a picture up on uh, on Facebook of a blood moon. And if you look at that picture, there's clouds behind it. <laughs> I don't know if somebody did that deliberately. You know, photoshopped it. Kind of like an inside joke. Because if that's a genuine picture, <laughs> there's clouds behind the moon right there. It's a blood moon. So I'm a sun gazer. I was sun gazing just before I pushed the record button. I was telling people, I was talking to Frank, and uh, so I noticed this. Um, there was a big uh, dark cloud behind the sun, and I realized that I had seen that kind of thing over and over. I, my mind just hadn't registered that. Anyway, I came on his show and talked about that, and the the downloads are still available. And people, um, there's been a number of people who discovered me through those podcasts. Okay, what has been the response? from, let's say, the conspiracy community. Uh, I'm not talking about the cloud behind the moon. I was the first person to talk about that. Um, the artificial night sky. I talked about the artificial night sky. I, told, I gave my testimony about how I was um, on a solo mountain climbing trip, and I was very extended because um, there was nobody around me. And if I had fallen, injured myself, I would have been in big trouble because I would have had to wait for a ranger to come get me, but they don't know exactly where you're at. You can die that way. Okay? It involves risk-taking, and Chuck will actually tell you that I'm, uh, I'm not much of a risk-taker. But I was very, very careful when I did that kind of climbing. And so anyway, I was up there, and I was under the largest... Um, natural roof in Washington State. It actually has different temperatures. It's so large, and I was on the right side of it, and I was looking up uh, at a ridge to the right of me. That that natural roof, I think it's called the, the Grog. I think so. And um, up on the ridge line, you know, it was nighttime. I saw what appeared to be star and it would disappear below the ridge, and then it would pop back up again. It would go back and forth. And then I noticed that other ones were doing it. So the stars, you know, the stars were moving. And I'm going, what in the heck is this? And I started to freak out because um, they had already done a number of things with me. For instance, the first time I watched uh, a UFO movie was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I went out for a late-night walk, which I should not have done because uh, it's dangerous. And uh, I almost lost my life because there were Satanists that were trying to capture me, apparently for a Satanic sacrifice in October, three weeks before Halloween. It's pretty obvious. And I, I fooled them. I tricked them. They weren't Illuminati. Otherwise, they would have known where I lived. I escaped. I tricked him. And uh, because I knew the guy was watching me, but I didn't let him know that I knew. That's That was the trick. So I, I appeared to be naive, and he, I wanted him to be overconfident because that would give me an opportunity to escape. And I did escape. 
then I watched them once I got in the house. And there was all these cars all over the place. They were looking for me, going up and down the dead-end roads. Where did he go? Because they knew I was in the area. <laughs> I tricked him. That's when I stopped going out late at night like that, in certain contexts anyway, because I still do that to some degree. But anyway, so yeah, I went out there, and uh, they sent a UFO, a big one. It landed over a, a cow pasture right in front of me. Unbelievable. On the same road, it's called Golden Given Road, that my whole family, well, the family was five people back then because I had two little brothers. They weren't born yet, I think. Yeah. Yeah, this was 19, I think it was 1966. And we all saw the same thing. We saw six or seven silver UFOs. And then they took off really quickly, you know. So I already knew that they were monitoring me. They had done other kind of stuff. And so I was kind of, I was kind of freaked out because I realized to my horror that every single object in the sky was moving around. And it was moving around to a significant degree. And it was quite erratic. Typically, they slide around from left to right and then kind of bounce up and down. Chuck was talking about this today. He's seen this, you know. And uh, like I said, we got some uh, really important updates that have to do with all that. <clears throat> if I run out of time, I'll, I'll do it on the other show with Emily. But it freaked me out. Now, I don't know what kind of evidence that you need that that's an artificial sky up there. But the possibilities are quite few. I've come up with different interpretations over the years, and it's actually gotten quite complicated. Uh, I, I need to say this, I'll say it again later, but uh, we have a new revelation. I guess I'll talk about that now. Well, first of all, we were told that that star in December of 2016 yeah, was Venus. It was way brighter, and it was a sign. Remember, we talked about them. This is right in the Bible. These are signs, certain historical periods. Okay, well, we got an artificial night sky. This is going to complicate things. So if God wants to give us a sign, let's step back a little bit. Isn't it true that Christians believe that there are going to be these celestial signs? Because they, 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 they don't have a problem with what Matthew 24 says. You know, the sun and moon are going to be affected. It talks about this in Revelation 6, right? They don't have a problem with that. Okay? So the celestial objects are going to be visibly affected. They actually believe this. They believe it's going to happen in the future. Okay? Okay, so they believe that God is going to give us these signs in the sky. This is what they believe. It's a common belief. I mean, it's pretty much what everybody believes, right? Except for preterists. They think everything already happened. But Christians don't know about the artificial night sky. Now, like I said... It's virtually impossible to prove that the sky is not artificial because you have to infallibly prove that it's not holographic projection. You can't do that. It doesn't matter if you're an astronomer. Nobody can do that unless you have access to privileged information like people in Illuminati. We don't have access to that. So all you can do is, is observe from ground level. Can you prove that's not a holographic projection? No. 
And it doesn't matter whether you look through a telescope. All that does is magnify it. Okay? We don't have to have access to um, the essentials that we can examine them. (laughs) How How do you do that, by the way? So, see, there's all kinds of things that we don't have access to. On YouTube... They act as if they do have access to all this, and we can figure it out on our own without revelation. Now, they, they never say that. We can do it without revelation, but that's obviously... They, they draw these conclusions, right? And isn't it true that they believe that their conclusions are correct? Yes. Yes. And they promote them, right? They're talking about things that are largely esoteric, hidden, uh, that involve lost knowledge, uh, they just kind of sweep that aside because uh, they're going to manufacture a career for themselves. Okay? You know, that could kind of get in the way of your YouTube career and kind of complicate things a little bit. But we just kind of, you know, we just conveniently ignore all that. Okay. Now, we were shown, oh, first of all, you understand, if God's going to place a sign in the sky in uh whatever you want to call this, you know, the latter days, okay? He's going to have to do something about the artificial night sky. Now, he's either going to have to take it down. Now, we've been told that they actually take it down sometimes. Nobody even notices, right? But they don't notice it's up there in the first place. Or he's going to have a portions of it are going to have to, um, there's going to be have to be holes that would appear uh, around these objects so that we can see um, the genuine star. Now, there's a third possibility, which I didn't think about, but I got suspicious of it recently, that the artificial night sky, it's a technological veil, and has different degrees of density. So it doesn't have to have a hole there. It can get thin enough that you can see through it and who would be doing this, by the way? Well, go to the Book of Enoch, and it will tell you all of these rudimentary tasks are done by angels. It's done through a mediated hierarchical form. God doesn't act directly. The angels carry it out. They actually, according to the Book of Enoch, they actually move the stars around. Everything is very mechanical. They actually have um, portals in the firmament, you can open and close them. It's like a door or a window, right? according to Enoch. Uh, science would say that's completely laughable. A superstitious um, people, ignorant. <clears throat> we're probably delusional because they, you know, you really think they were visited by uh, angels? Come on. There's no such thing as angels. No such thing as the spirit realm. And of course, God, he doesn't exist either. This is the wisdom of our age. We call it propaganda. And the idiocracy. And uh, this is what people thrive on. And the science says. You might as well say Satan said. You know that Satan speaks through science? He speaks every day. Every day. I listen to Coast to Coast. I mean, that show is regularly announcing 
these new discoveries by NASA, which is kind of curious because uh, they have all these people that come on and they don't have anything good to say about NASA. But then they, <laughs> and George Norrie, a lot of times at the beginning of the show, he'll ex- proclaim some new discovery of NASA. You know what I mean? And it's funny because they had a guy on there. He was talking about vaccines. He actually believed in vaccines. And it was kind of embarrassing because uh, I have heard somebody come on there before through the years, but everybody else that they've had on there, except for maybe one or two examples, are anti-vaccine. And I don't think George knew what he was getting into. Even George knows he's against vaccines. You know, so they were kind of playing along with the game. But he had a pretty institutionalized mind. <clears throat> okay, so anyway, um, we asked the angel about this because we need to have this resolved. Now, we had already been shown this before, but we got more detail. It's not uh, actually like a hole. Um, it doesn't need to be. It's just that that veil is thin enough there that you can actually see the genuine star. So Venus and Mars are brighter for a reason. It's communicating something. Now, I don't know the specifics, but the reason that Venus is brighter, it has to do with the role of Gabriel. And uh, this is something that we don't talk about on the show. Okay? Um, You notice that we don't talk about Michael very much. Um his planet is, or star is uh, Mercury. And um, I actually don't feel comfortable talking about the subject. And uh, I wouldn't um, spend too much time trying to figure out why, because I don't think you'll be able to figure it out. But I'm doing this for a reason, and Chuck knows. But Gabriel has a very prominent role right now. And it's being communicated through that star. And like I said before, um, Raphael has to do with uh, Mars. Now there's an angel of death. And Chuck, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but have we been told that there's only one angel of death? Uh no, I think there's more. I think they can he can utilize any. any well, I think uh, there's more, but I think that there still is um, an elevated singular angel, quote unquote, angel of death. That's what I'm. I think yeah, I'm not. Sure. I, I'm not I'm certain. Not totally sure. Yeah, I'm not certain either. But let uh, me put it this way: if there is a singular angel of death, actually, it's Gabriel. That means that. Uh, I believe that he was the angel that slew the Assyrian army when they had surrounded Jerusalem in the days of Hezekiah. Remember that Hezekiah delivered Judah through intercessory prayer. That's what the Bible teaches. And the Assyrian army was wiped out by one angel. Now, if there was never an angel that would qualify as the angel of death, that would be it, whoever that angel was. So this article Mm -hmm. that um, Jeff was talking to me about, he's asked me questions about, this guy was claiming that um, this entity called Abaddon is the angel of death, and this was actually an angel of God. 
And I explained to Jeff, no, Abaddon is um, an alternative term for Satan. You see that in Revelation 9? And the reason we don't understand that is because the Christian brain cannot process Satan being associated with Apollo. Like I said this week, you think of Apollo, even though it's you know pagan, it sounds positive. Well, the word Satan sounds really negative. It's like those two things don't mix, you know. So I talked about this off the top of my head in great detail, didn't that, Chuck? I mean, shoot, mm-hmm. it's been like a half an hour. You know what I mean? We don't have clarity about the term Azazel, which is only mentioned one time, or in one chapter, anyway, Leviticus 16. And we don't have clarity about um, Apollo or Apollyon and Abaddon. Both of those terms refer to a place. Oh, there's a third one, Hades. All three of those terms refer to a place and an entity, which in certain contexts could be a double metaphor, but not necessarily so. But see, this concept is in the Bible. We talked about this earlier with the beast and the woman. The double metaphors, local churches... They don't even get into typology. So they're just kind of scratching their head. They don't feel comfortable with it, you see? Um, but yeah, I mean, the Bible is not easy to interpret. It's, it's not easy. So anyway, <clears throat> yeah, um, it's pretty obvious to me that um, God has used the angels to diminish the thickness of that veil so that the stars can shine through it and actually serve as signs. Now, actually, Chuck, apart from uh, the prominence of Gabriel's role at the present time, which is reflected by the brightness of Venus, I don't know anything more about that, right? We don't know anything. All we know is it has to do... I'm not even sure if we've been told about the prominence. That's just a logical conclusion, right? Now, we also have uh, Mercury in retrograde. I didn't even write that down in my notes, Chuck. Can you comment about that a little bit? Um, Anything off the top of your head? Because you already did before. You knew more about it than I did. That's happening. Well, it did happen. Did it already happen? Yeah, I think it's happening right now. Um, I don't know. The rumor is, and I, I think if I focus on it a little bit... Uh, but yeah, it, it's not something uh, that takes place over a single day. Uh, I could look it up here. Yeah, it takes a little while. It's uh, I would just kind of yeah. it was kind of interesting. You got another planet involved and all this stuff going on. Mercury's involved too, and uh, that happens. Uh, Mercury, with yeah, has something to do with um, uncertainty, mixed emotions. It kind of kind of messes with uh, messes with things. Mercury does when it's in retro- retrograde. Now you'll notice that. Um, a Mercury retrograde, it, it's not associated with positivity, is it? No, right. Isn't that interesting? I'm Googling it right now. <clears throat> hmm. Well, it is in July. I think it might be ongoing right now. Mm-hmm. 
But that's also going on in the background. Anyway, I can say that the angels have said um, some curious things about Michael over the years. And just generally speaking, this would be somewhat um, compatible with Mercury retrograde. Would you agree with me? On, I know that's a real general statement, Chuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm talking about really super basic stuff here. No details. But I say it's kind of interesting that uh, Mercury uh, is involved in all this going on. Oh, well, check this out. Uh, it's not ongoing right now. It starts on the 26th, the day okay. before. Unbelievable. Yeah. And it extends to yeah. August 19th. Uh-huh. And there's a number, another one that runs from November 17th to December 6th, and there was one earlier from March 23rd to April 15th. Isn't that something that it's the day before the 27th? Wow. Okay. Now, there was another celestial event. Now, I said before, they create false things. Now, they had some guy on coast to coast, and he was actually saying what I was saying. Oh, I think it was a woman. And she was talking about how much NASA lies. And she was talking about uh, things like meteors and stuff like that, just like I have. And they, they t- if it's something is um, natural, they will tell you it's not. And if it's, if it's technology, they will tell you it's natural. They do the opposite. They pretty much lie around down the line. Now, again... That confuses people. Because why would they lie that much? The reason that they lie as much as they do is to maximize delusionality. See that? And that makes sense. To get you so far from the truth, you don't know where you're coming or going. But why wouldn't the devil want to do that? Well, of course he want to do that. That's the principle between a 180-degree lie. And also, if you believe the 180-degree lie, lie which, which people typically do, like right down the line, they'll believe the 180-degree lie because... Um, the big lies are more believable than the smaller lies. We've talked about that before, the nature of the big lie. Uh, the reason they do that, to give you the 180-degree lies, because if you're ever confronted with the truth, the truth would be the opposite of what you believe. And it would make it very difficult to embrace that. Satan's a real smart guy, isn't he? The people, mm-hmm. I mean, this is pretty basic. The Christians, they don't understand. They go, I don't understand why they would lie so big or lie so much. Well, I just told you. Was that hard? See that? You've got to spend a lot of time thinking, reflecting. They're obviously not doing that. The people today are the, are the least reflective and the least contemplative people in all world history. People today, they have problems focusing. Can you please sit still? For two minutes and focus on something? No. Can you put your phone down? You know. I've got to stay connected. Those smartphones are unbelievably powerful mind control devices. There's so much layering there, conspiracies going on. Um, I don't think anybody in the world can communicate all of it. I don't even think there's anybody that even knows. It's, you're actually dealing with an unknown. And it's so bad that I think God protects people in different degrees on an individual basis. 
I say that because um, that angel said uh, I was concerned about my phone sitting next to me as I use it to play music when I'm surfing the computer, you know. I'm concerned about it sitting there next to it because two summers ago I got a radiation burn on my thigh right above my knee. I talked about that. <laughs> Ever since I got that, I've looked at these phones a lot differently. That that was where I held it most of the time, right there, see. So, you know, it's just like getting a tumor, uh, you know, on your brain, right where you hold your phone. I mean, this is not hard to figure out. It's the phone. It's emitting radiation, like a microwave oven. And it's dangerous. We'll have to see where that sound's coming from. You guys can all hear that sound, hopefully. So if you think it's you, either mute yourself or... What's the sound? Sounds like a little horn in the background, a little musical-type horn, like on a kid's toy or something. Anyway, it's not very loud. I'm not worried about it right now. Um, Okay, so they're telling us... Remember what I said? They tell you the opposite. If something is real, they downplay it or don't talk about it at all. If, then they have a you know fake celestial event. We talked about quite uh, quite a lot previously how um, you know the activity that goes on in the sun. They always make it negative, and they talk about these solar outbursts and stuff like that, and it's all bad for you. Those are partial truths. We've done that before. It's distorted. So anyway, just two days ago, um, they told us that all the planets lined up, I think, on the other side of the sun. And so we tried to get revelation on that. And on the very same day, they made a big thing about opening this sarcophagus in Egypt, and in the same old thing, just like when they say, oh, we're going to open Osiris's tomb. Come on. You really think that's Osiris's tomb? I mean, there's a very small possibility it could be that they would sigh out people, actually show them, because they can't comprehend and put the truth right in front of them. Probably not. It's probably too sacred to reveal. Yeah. But, um, this this was a big flame out too, but they why did they do this on this uh, alignment? So anyway, we asked the angel, and you know what he said? Um, he said it was false. He didn't say he didn't say the word false. I remember what he said by the way, Chuck. He used contemporary language. Um, but it's a deception, and he he made a remark that it had to do with a heliocentric. Um, you know, cosmos or universe, but it doesn't it doesn't work. It's only compatible with heliocentrism, right? The sun is in the center of the universe, and all these planets are lining up on one side. It's supposed to be a relatively rare phenomenon. I'm not sure how often that happens. But it's not like really common or anything. No, a bunch of garbage. So that is a false celestial event. And yet they have this bogus, highly publicized 
event that they carry out on that day, I asked if it had any kind of ritual significance. And the answer was basically no, but he, or no, but he, he used different words. <clears throat> he used a contemporary word. I just don't really want to say it. That's kind of funny. We're trying to make this stuff easier to believe. So, so much for uh, that. That was the uh, July 19th flame out. They like the number uh, 19, by the way. So maybe it had something to do with that. That's an interesting subject. I've talked about that before. I don't know what's going on with that number, but they may be pointing to 2019. You'll see on YouTube, they have these little agents on a payroll, and believe me, they're little agents on a payroll. These are the guys that push this uh, blood intent propaganda, which actually give you a demon. It's absolutely diabolical. These are the same, uh, these uh, YouTube websites sprung up at the same time out of nowhere, pushing the blood intent ritual, and here we go, a literal exodus in the year 2019. 2019. Why did they choose that year? Now, there could actually possibly be an exodus in that year. And they actually know it, or if they're not certain, that's the year they're calculating, and they're just putting confusion out there. I mean, people will have to make choices in the future. And they've already got people in place. They're called Pied Pipers, right? And not saying that like flat earth movement. The true cosmology is going to be revealed according to the Bible. Did you know that? Yes. That's what Matthew 17:11 teaches. Cosmology is very important. It has to do with the fabric of reality. So it would be included with Matthew 17. Everything will be restored. Okay? So they know that, and they're making certain concessions because they can't stop it. So what they do, they reveal certain fundamental truths, like the earth is not a sphere, and they create a sheepfold. Now, the people in the sheepfold, they want them to have an emotional attachment to their belief system. So they know that God's going to reveal the truth in totality eventually. Okay? About the true cosmology. They want them to stay with their rudimentary uh, flat earth model. Okay? That is not... See, this is really... There's a simple way to prove that the flat earth cosmology is false. Are you ready? It was never very hard in the first place. Here we go. Elijah has not shown up yet. You see that? Now, these Christians, they want to convince you that they've already um, figured out the true cosmology before Elijah. Is that what Matthew 17, 11 teaches? Now, remember, it has to be an important subject. Because I believe that there's lesser truths that God can restore ahead of Elijah. I don't have a big problem with that. Typically, they're bits and pieces of a composite truth. There's a lot of truths that interlock. These are like singular truths. I have a big problem. There's nothing real significant. 
God, one of the biggest things that God has revealed, is God did this, actually revealed that the earth is not a sphere. That's the main truth that the flat earthers have. Yeah, the earth is not a sphere. Okay. But then they run with that, and they want to believe that they can figure everything out without revelation. No, you can't. No, you cannot figure out the shape and structure of the earth um, without privileged knowledge. You know, either through a secret society or information from God, or like we said recently, non-human entities, not talking about aliens, they've always known these kind of things. Entities like elves, please insert laugh track in accordance with your mind control programming. You know, to reject everything I say. They've always known the true shape of the earth. No big deal. They're actually smarter than humans even though they were created inferior. They don't have all this propaganda. And they're actually, apparently, somewhat protected from Satan. Because the brunt of Adam's crime is directed at humans. Everyone else wants to suffer, animal kingdom, everybody else too. But... um, the devolutionary process is not equal. We have to bear the brunt of Adam's sin, fortunately, because he was the federal head of mankind. He was actually a high priest. It does not explicitly state that in Scripture, but you can see that by the results. You see that? He was a priest who represented the people, and that is a common belief among theologians and scholars. They don't have a problem with that. Uh, I think they all believe that. I think most of them do, Uh, like Bible commentators too. It's not that big of a deal. But as far as a single proof text, it doesn't explicitly state that. But you can pretty much surmise that by the results. He represented the whole you see that concept in the Bible. You also see it with, um, with Jesus, but we don't want to digress into that. Right now. Okay, so um, Daniel Ott, he has a large audience. And everyone that has downloaded those two podcasts over the years have been exposed to the concept of an artificial night sky. Okay. What has been the response? We're going to call this the conspiracy community, right? Basically. A lot of time's gone by. Okay? What is the response? A big fat zip. If you can find a YouTube channel out there about the artificial night sky, I'm not claiming there isn't anything out there because I'd have to have absolute knowledge of everything on YouTube. Let me know because I've never seen anything. So I'm trying to say people say, well, they haven't heard. They have heard. They have heard. Yes, they have. What was the response? A wall of silence. Okay? It's a concept that they can't wrap their head around. I showed up on Hoaxbusters, me and Emily. I laid it out very quick. 
uh, machine gun fashion. <laughs> what was the response? Well, there was a response. It was 100% negative. I've talked about over and over that every person is programmed to have an emotional reaction to anything that threatens the system. So they're measuring this through their personal filter and their perception of reality, and they, I'm assuming, are drawing the conclusion that this, if this was true, this would be something significant. Oh, yeah. Now, have we ever heard this before? No. We recognize that this is, we're hearing this for the first time. How does, how does that actually work in a human mind? Well, here's how it works. This guy's claiming, and the same thing happens in church. This guy's claiming to have discovered something significant, right? It would be significant that we haven't heard about. Right? It's pretty simple, right? Something significant, and we haven't heard about it. Well, we don't allow that around here. Okay? We're going to shut it down. They have an emotional response. Oh, you think you're somebody special? Do you think you... Everybody has this program. It's called Me Versus You program. You think you're better than me. You don't believe that's going on. Take a look at Facebook every day. All day long, day after day. Me versus you. I know more than you. You're wrong. We're not going to allow you to figure out anything big. No. Uh, because we view that as a threat. Uh, threat to what? Threat to our ego. This is how humans work. This is what they do in the Christian church. Ooh, you think you're special. You think you have a problem with pride. And they go right into that mode. And they focus on the messenger and completely ignore the message. Now, is this an exaggeration? Uh, show me one person that's had any kind of response. I'm not even talking about an intelligent response. How about um, the artificial night sky is false? Now, remember, they've heard, and you better believe the people, the Internet heroes have been emailed as well. This is on Daniel Ott's show twice. People have heard. What is the response? A big fat zip. What do you expect in an idiocracy? This is what you get. Okay? Now, if you push the Illuminati propaganda, oh, make a career for yourself on that. And they'll actually help you out, by the way. Yeah, if you've got enough error, you don't have to be an agent on a payroll. Uh, you can be on Coast to Coast AM. You can be a a Christian. And uh, why would the Illuminati allow something like that? <clears throat> well, because you've got significant errors. And they know that, but you don't. And they're actually going to help you out without you knowing. You know, sometimes you just think, wow, somebody up there really likes me. <laughs> it's more like, you know, somebody down there likes you, but for the wrong reason. It's so incredibly important at this uh, point of history to trick Christians. 
about the true nature of aliens uh, because the quote-unquote aliens are they're coming, uh, but they're not aliens. They're terrestrial, and uh, but they're coming. And so it's very important to sigh off everybody, and they did a really good job. They were just talking about this on Coast to Coast. No, it was uh, Clyde Lewis. Yeah, he pointed out that the Christians believe that the aliens are spiritual beings. He said, no, they have tangible physical bodies. Yeah, that would be true. But these Christians have been psyoped with propaganda that's supposed to be compatible with their worldview, which is given to them on a plate. Okay? That the that the um, the aliens are spiritual beings, or nephilim, or demons, or uh, fallen angels. Now, people did not used to believe this. Before the mid 1980s, as a general rule, I've talked about this before. Chuck Missler has passed away, <clears throat> and I'm just going to tell you, you might get angry, but he was an agent on payroll, and I've, I've said that years ago. I'm 100% confident. Um, I would not say that if I thought that uh, if I wasn't confident that it was true. And it's so incredibly easy to discover that all you have to do is look at the people that he hung out with over the years. <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's the absolute worst. You, you go out there and you get a book. It's a Christian book. And you look at all these people, um, you know, people like in the Bilderbergers and stuff like that, and they're, they're, they get all these big um, groups, institutions, and they're all involved with building the New World Order, okay? And he hangs out with all these people. What does that tell you? That was you a whole heck of a lot, okay? By the way, uh, if you want to figure out who an agent is on a percentage basis or somebody that's false, just go to Google, put the person's name, there and then put the word false right next to them. I've seen over and over people don't know how to do that. They're uh, trying to figure out, uh, you know, is this guy a false teacher? Or well, why don't you see what other people say? And you know, because you need you haven't found the evidence yet. See, well, there is evidence. You just haven't located it on the search engine. So the easiest way is just put false right next to their name, and surprise, surprise, you'd be <laughs> amazed at just. You'll be just like deluge, like, oh, my God, all this stuff? I didn't know that. Yeah, you haven't looked for it yet. You're trying to figure out whether the person is, um, is an agent or something, you know, they call them a shill, without doing any research. It's not that hard. So that's what you do. You put the word false. Now you will hear false accusations. You'll... But typically, um, they're true. You know, you, I mean, you'll have people out there saying, this guy's a false prophet. People are going to call me a false prophet. Okay. God is not publicizing me. That's one thing that we know. We know that now because enough time's gone by. And last year, I got suspicious enough to ask the question, is God still hiding me? Because I had been told before that he was. Actually, year after year. 
I've talked about this on the show. It's part of my testimony. I had actually thought that that had come to an end, but we were told, no, it's still hiding me. I go, whoa. And then I kind of, I think, overreacted to that and abased my life uh, accordingly. But I did that. I talked about this in the last upload. The first word in the, in the title is timing. Timing. Humans don't know the future. Show me somebody that predicted a date ahead of time. Okay? There's one exception, and they were on a payroll. They predicted Black Monday in 2007. I already knew they were on a payroll. And they came on, uh, they were using these computer bots, the big PSYOP. Um, They had access to privileged information because they were on a payroll. Okay, setting them aside. Well, first of all, how do you do this if you're not on a payroll? They say that Alex Jones predicted uh, 9-11. Well, he didn't predict the date. I'm talking about the date. People don't predict dates. So every time that you hear a date, you can readily assume it's going to be false. And uh, if they ever accurately predict a date, that'll be a psyop too. I mean, because they could potentially predict a date, but the Illuminati is, except for that one example, they've never done it either. Men don't predict dates. So how in the heck are you supposed to know these? Well, you can't. See, they're hidden by God. Nobody knows. Like I said, I found out last year the angels didn't know. I thought they did, at least the higher ones. They don't know either. They have, um, they have opinions. In the last podcast, I put angel opinions. You ever hear about that term, angel opinions? Like one single time. No, it's not compatible with the Christian religion. Okay, like um, pretty much everything we're talking about. Here we go. Pretty much everything we're talking about. If you noticed, it's not compatible with Christian religion. So it better be false, because if it's not false, what does that tell you about Christian religion? <laughs> a lot of these things are self-evident. I like to talk about, you know, I can't prove this, nobody can. Because we talk about so many things that are provable, that I like to point out, this is not one of those things. You know, and if you're going to trust me, it's the same thing as uh, trusting um, an ancient prophet without a, any kind of evidence from a text. These prophets talking about things that are not in any text anywhere. It has to do with trust relationship. That's an individual thing. I think a lot of people are curious about these things. And they're kind of, I can't really think of a better term right now, but they're kind of sitting on the fence. You know, they're not really opposing it. They're not saying, wow, this is false. You know what I mean? But they're interested. They're intrigued. There you go. That's a good term. Intrigued. They're intrigued enough to keep listening, but they're not necessarily making it a part of their belief system. They're waiting for God to do something uh, to bring more clarity. We need more than this. And I, guess what? I actually hold the same opinion. I already said that earlier. I was convinced years ago, I arrived at this through just logical thinking, that um, you're not going to be able to convince the people. I actually put this in a podcast title. 
There's a new religion coming. Can you look at? You can quickly devastate with one single question that we're not in the new covenant. This evidence is not in the Bible. Okay, so can you prove? Well, first of all, right there, if the new covenant is future, that means there's a new religion coming. It's oriented around new covenant. It hasn't arrived yet. So is there anybody can uh, can prove that this new thing that it talks about two different times in Isaiah, can they prove that that's not a new religion? Stop and think. What does it say? Elijah will come and restore everything. Does that sound like a new religion to you? Now you're going, well, he's going to restore it like it was in the first century. Now, I used to have this mentality of you know, restoration, restoring you know, the apostolic religion. That sounds really good. No. No, no, no. It's not talking about that because it's something new. And the reason is quite simple. The new covenant hasn't arrived yet. They weren't under the new covenant back then, and we aren't either. So that's why this new religion is not going to be the apostolic religion. The reason is there's going to be a new Torah, which actually is specifically mentioned in the Bible. It hasn't arrived yet. And guess who's going to bring it? The new Moses. Is this in the Bible? Yeah, i got to get my glasses here. Where did I get my glasses? Oh, there they are. It's in the book of Isaiah. It talks about the nations waiting. Now, like I said, the traditional interpretation of the church is what's called replacement theology. And that still uh, affects the dispensational view. Okay? When it comes to exegesis of Scripture... Uh, to a surprising degree. And so, when it talks about the the nations waiting for the law of God, they believe that was fulfilled in the first century through Christ. But actually, it hasn't arrived yet. In Isaiah 42... It talks about that this is applied to Christ. It's a double fulfillment. This passage is specifically applied to Christ in the apostolic scriptures. Um, You know, it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. I notice that Christ didn't do that. So I'm talking about a liberal fulfillment. He does it in the future. He didn't do it in the, in the first century. The only thing that you can say is that, well, first of all, he didn't even bring the gospel. Did you know that? So we're not talking about the gospel here. That arrived afterwards, didn't it? Um, it says, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. 
Now stop and think about that. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. Now he's going to bring a new law. It says in his law, the nations will put their hope. Now you see how um, replacement theology, they, they have a lot of commonalities with preterism, by the way. They spiritualize the text and they stop everything into the first century. All fulfilled through Christ. All these passages have to do with the church. They do not have to do with future fulfillment. Isn't that something? They're already fulfilled. See how it has commonalities with federalism? That's the replacement view. Let me find a passage here that um, is not fulfilled in the first century. Turn the page, go to Isaiah 41. He's speaking... um, Here he's speaking to Israel. All right, I don't want that one. Let me see here. Okay. Well, it's the same. It's the same. Yeah. Okay. All you gotta do is look at the context. Now, what you're looking for is something that was not fulfilled in the first century, by, by Jesus. Okay. So um, I was reading there in Isaiah 42, verse four. Now I'm going to go down to verse six. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to um, the servant. These are called the servant songs. That's what scholars call them. This is the anointed servant. What is the Christian interpretation? Who is the servant? It's Christ. What do I say? Yeah, that's true. Okay, so we, we both agree. So that's who it's speaking to. Verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. Now, God has to um, preserve him, uphold him, Okay. Um, he has to strengthen him. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. Here we go. And a light for the Gentiles. People say, well, I don't have a problem with that. Well, it wasn't fulfilled literally through Jesus, was it? What you have to say is the truth that Christ proclaimed was spread over the earth, you know, through Christianity, initially by the apostles. But you have to understand, Jesus didn't do that, right? Not literally. Now, what I'm saying is, this happens later, literally. He comes back and spreads truth. It covers the whole world. The world is essentially Christianized. You can see in Zechariah 14, there's going to be problems. Okay? There's going to be some degree of disobedience among the nations. That's, that's what Zechariah 14 is talking about. And if they don't keep the feasts, the feast, they have to send representatives to Jerusalem. If they don't do that, God's going to punish them. And this is actually, we're talking about the Messianic era here, okay, in the future. This is actually somewhat compatible with the common Christian view of what's called premillennialism. They don't believe it's going to be perfect, right? 
they think that happens uh, in the next age. And uh, that won't be perfect either, but it will be um, definitely a superior level. Okay, it says, uh, you'll be a light to the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I'm skipping down, uh, I'm skipping verse 8. It says, see the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Okay, so it says these new things. Well, the, there's, there's two other passages that talk about new things. And I was not talking about the first century. I mentioned them earlier. Let's talk about the new covenant. New covenant's future hasn't even come yet. But even if you believe the new covenant has come, these new things are still future. I mean, Christians would actually acknowledge that. If you were um, a heavily programmed theologian, you'd say, no, 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 that, that has to do with first century. It's all fulfilled in Christ. It's not futuristic. Okay. A lot of uh, Christian scholars would say that, Protestant scholars. <clears throat> I believe that this passage was quoted where it says, a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison. I believe that this was quoted in reference to Christ. That also was quoted. But notice it's not a literal fulfillment. See, in the future, it's a spiritual fulfillment. This is typical with typology. I've talked about this in detail. But you have a prototypical fulfillment. This has to do with type, anti-type fulfillment. The initial fulfillment, the prototype, is a partial fulfillment, and it's not uncommon for it to have a spiritual application. In other words, it's not a literal fulfillment across the board. Let me... uh, Illustrate how there's a partial fulfillment that actually has to do with Christ. You can see this very clearly. Now, when he went into the synagogue, he wrote, uh, he, <clears throat> this was part of the synagogue service. He, he read out of the um, great scroll of Isaiah. Okay? And he read Isaiah 61, and he applied it to himself. So I'm going to read it. And what I want to point out, there's a partial fulfillment in the first century. You can see very clearly, hold it. This wasn't accomplished. Yeah. Now, what replacement theology does? They spiritualize the text in order to stuff it all in the first century. No, this is talking about a literal fulfillment. Now, I believe that you agree with me. Okay, so this is a pretty famous passage. It says this, and it's quoted in the uh, Gospels. But see, it stops. <laughs> it stops. It doesn't keep going. It doesn't show you. The, you know why? Because the rest doesn't apply in the first century. See, that wasn't too hard, was it? But you'll see it. So it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. By the way, he's declared himself to be the son of David, which is a messianic term. He's revealing that he's the Messiah. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor, which is 
probably like a jubilee type event, and the day of vengeance of our God. It does have to do with judgment, and this happened and Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, which is an alternative term for Jerusalem, or uh, just God's people, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. We've all heard this, right? And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This actually shows up in Christian hymns. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That kind of sounds like um, he's bringing revival to the remnant in the first century so far. Now watch what happens now. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. This is a restored Israel. It's in the future. It's physical. What did I say? They're going to spiritualize the text. That's exactly what they do, because they don't believe in the future restoration. Now, they're denying what the text says. Okay? Aliens will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God, and you will feed on the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. It's all in the context of that. Okay? He's going to come back and do all these things. In an earlier podcast, I talked about how he's the branch. He's going to build the temple. It's a future temple. The temple is literal. You've been lied to. And by the way, it's replacement theology that spiritualizes that temple. In Ezekiel 40 43, a lot of people have been exposed to that teaching. They believe that that temple is um, not literal. You got that from replacement theology. That's a Roman Catholic teaching, by the way. The Protestants received it. Didn't change it. Um, so, it says they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. You have to look at the context of Scripture because um, the Bible talks about this. This is very important to understand. Ezekiel 34 to 48 is chronological. The book of Revelation isn't chronological, but Ezekiel is, starting with Ezekiel 34. Now, what the Bible does is it prophesies that, well, first of all, we know historically that God destroyed Jerusalem, right? And then, you know what else happened? God actually kicked his own people out of the Holy Land. He kicked them out. See, that was a privilege. Remember that God gave them that land? And Job talked about, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Well, he took away the Holy Land from his own people. Now, history actually acknowledges to some degree. I don't know if I want to 
going all that. But according to history, this happened in stages. You have the uh, Jewish revolt. They had a false messiah. His name's kind of hard to pronounce. And they say that this happened <laughs> in 132 A.D., which just happens to be 66 days, 66 years, excuse me, after 66 A.D. Well, that's either uh, divine numerology there or it's another uh, Illuminati deception. And uh, I don't even believe that that Jewish revolt existed. I think they manufactured it out of thin air. They did that a lot because they extended the chronology by a thousand years, in my opinion. So they had to manufacture historical events. But anyway, that is when they say that the Jews were fully and finally um, expelled from the land. Uh, They were expelled in the first century, according to history, and scripture indicates this too, uh, But the way history is presented to us, it's presented in two different stages. But anyway, I mean, historians do acknowledge this, okay? So the quote-unquote Jews, they lost their homeland, okay? And the land was destroyed. The ground lay sallow. And it was given to the Muslims. This is what the Crusades had to do. It's a huge subject I've talked about before. People don't understand it because it's all concealed. It's a big deception to steal away the land that God had given to the descendants of Abraham. They're going to get it back. This has to do with um, what's called Zionism. There's a biblical Zionism. There's a false Zionism. As a general rule, the only thing you ever hear is a false Zionism. It's called Christian Zionism. It has to do with dispensationalism. It's propaganda. It's popular religion. And then when you understand that that's propaganda, then people tend to forget that there's actually a biblical Zionism based on the promises given to Abraham. It is going to happen. But um, the land will be desolate. So going to Ezekiel... Ezekiel 36, verse 11, it says, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On that day, I cleanse you from all your sins. Now, he's speaking corporately. (laughs) Replacement theology says this already happened. In Ezekiel, it says, I will give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. Replacement theology says this was fulfilled in the first century through the work of Christ. No. Talking about the future. Look at these people today. These are the most corrupt people in the history of the world. This society is the most corrupt society in the history of the world. Talking about America. Some people don't understand that because they have an emotional attachment to their country. And they've been programmed with patriotism, okay? These are the most wicked people in the history of the world. Okay? 
We're talking about Christians who live in this evil country. Have they been corporately cleansed from their sins? And they have a, uh, a heart of flesh? No. 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 Um, the prophet Ezekiel said that Judah was more wicked than Sodom and Samaria. So they had higher degree of accountability. So if Judah was more wicked than Sodom, where do you think we're at? Because I guarantee you we're more wicked than Judah. I pointed this out before. All, the, all these temptations today, they didn't have them back then. Like pornography everywhere, you can't even get away from pornography. What about all the propaganda? All that propaganda. These are the most confused people in the history of the world. I don't know where they're coming or going. Okay. <clears throat> and we're supposed to believe that God restored these people uh, corporately, and they've been cleansed from their sin. No, they're cleansed from their sins when the diaspora ends and God pours out His grace. That hasn't happened yet. Okay. Now what I'm trying to illustrate is the land is going to be abandoned. And the people, they're not dwelling there. So it's a restatement of what it said there in Isaiah. So it says, On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns. Now remember, they're going to, they're going to spiritualize this passage. Apply it to the church somehow. They're twisting the text just like the watchtower. It's no different. And the watchtower does the same thing they claim to be Spiritual Israel. Like I said before, many times, there's, there's not two Israels in the Bible. There's, not two, there's only one Israel. But Israel nature is different than what Christians believe. They always have this dichotomy between us and the Jews. Us and the Jews. That's just because they've been influenced by uh, dispensational theology. Replacement theology, they abandon the Jews. Okay? They make allowance that a Jew can convert to Christianity... But as far as a, here we go, corporate body of people, no, they've been rejected by God. That's the Roman Catholic teaching, and the Protestants affirmed that. They didn't change anything. Just look at the uh, Protestant Bible commentaries. I will resettle your towns, and the ruins will be rebuilt. Remember I talked about the, um, the tabernacle of David is in ruins in Amos chapter 9. That has to be rebuilt. It's literal. And yet, that passage was quoted in the book of Acts. That's an excellent example of an early type that has a partial fulfillment and a spiritual application. It had to have some kind of fulfillment because it's quoted in the book of Acts, and it had to do with the work of Christ. But Amos 9 is also talking about a physical restoration of the house of David, uh, the restoration of kingship, and there's many passages that talk about this, and they're all supposed to be interpreted literally. You don't spiritualize these passages. They become completely absurd. I will resettle your towns, and the ruins will be rebuilt. That's exactly what it says about David's tabernacle. It's in ruins. The desolate land, you see that? The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who passed through it. 
Now, this has to do with when it's physically restored. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. And the cities that were living in, lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. Uh, A little later it says, so will the um, ruined cities be filled with flocks of people, then they will know that I'm the Lord. Now it talks about the beginning of this process. Two two chapters later. Ezekiel 38, when they come back to the Exodus. People can't figure that out. It's after an Exodus. Is that the battle of God? Magog, after the Exodus. They have to go on the Exodus, have to come back from the Exodus. It's all chronological. It's really easy. One of the hardest passages to interpret is the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37. That is literal as well. It's it's a national resurrection. It's a difficult process because it's a genuine resurrection. It's resurrection of dead saints. This is why, like he talks about this quite a bit in Isaiah, Talks about Israel becoming a nation of one day, and people just think, oh, it's just using hyperbole. Exaggeration? No. No. It's talking about millions of people that have died, they're resurrected in one day, and they join in with the remnant. This is why they're so powerful. And the nations, they can't stop this. They're here opposing the power of God. Illuminati know that. They, they know that. That's why some of them are going to switch sides. I've talked about that before. <clears throat> anyway. Now, one more thing I want to point out is that um, <clears throat> the land goes through different uh, periods of destruction. Uh, according to the witness of history, uh, God's people... Uh, whether you want to believe it's uh, Western Turkey or uh, uh, Palestine, they were not living in that area. They were expelled. That's the witness of history. Historians agree with that. I agree with that, okay? Now, what I'm talking about is something different here. <clears throat> I don't care if it's Western Turkey or Palestine. It's going to be destroyed. Again. Okay? And then it's going to lay desolate, for a long, a pretty long period of time, it's going to lay desolate during until the Exodus is over. That land is not restored until the people come back and restore it. They start building. You can see when they come back, they have to rebuild everything. It says um, in Ezekiel 38, "You will say, I will invade a land of unwalled villages." Don't you have any walls? That's the first thing you do to protect yourself in the city. You set up a wall around, a protective wall around the city. They don't even have one. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls and without gates and bars. See, it's just 
rudimentary, and it says, I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against the resettled ruins. And the people gathered from the nations. Does that sound like an exodus to you? What is wrong with these people? It's consistently contradicting scripture running down the line. I've talked about this before. I mean, almost anybody that thinks about an exodus at all, they all think it happened in 1948, and you know, these, these uh, immigrants are going over there to uh, Palestine, Israel, you know, and it's a, it's, a, it's a work of God, a powerful work of God. This is what pastors believe all across America. This is true. In fact, they've never even heard an alternative opinion. They've said, well, I mean, how, see, in their mindset, you know, God's pouring out his blessings in the New Covenant. How could that not be true? You know why? Because so many people believe it. Now, this is a real problem with the Christian mind. Because, see, they don't think about, you know, periods of probation and things like that. Um, you know, we're under the New Covenant, we're under the blessings. And uh, it doesn't make any sense that you could have an opinion that that is that popular and it could be wrong. Because that would mean that all these Christian leaders are flat dead wrong. Let's go back to um, the history of Israel. All right? The people had fallen into sin and apostasy, and God was angry with their leaders. Um, he revealed revelation to his prophets, and they were sent to the people. What happened? Did you know that they, when they were opposed by the people, they were also opposed by the leaders of the people? Did you know that? It wasn't just the people. The leaders rejected the prophets too. Did you know that? Now, what, what does that mean? That means that they were wrong. They were in error. And if you're thinking um, about this back in that day, you're going, this wouldn't make any sense. How could we possibly have gone that astray? We're being guided by God. We are a chosen nation, a separate people, under the covenant blessings of God. Blah, 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 blah. Same thing today. People are blind, fallen into corruption, they're in bondage to sin, they sit in darkness, they haven't heard the truth. If they did, it would be such a radical opinion. So we're talking about an assessment of God's people. Notice that every single time that God sent an authoritative prophet, he had a negative assessment of God's people. They had fallen short. Did they receive the message? Show me one single time that they received the message. Did they ever do that? Jesus said, you persecuted and killed the prophets. Like I said before, there was never a national revival. You kind of have to go over that because people go, what? I don't want to go over that again. But there wasn't. I can understand that people would assume that there was. It's the same thing today. And why is that? It has to do with human nature. Now, Talking about human nature just for a little bit. We're talking about depraved nature because of the fall of Adam. We inherit this. 
talks about this. David talked about this in Psalm 51, something you're born with. Well, what this does, it produces spiritual blindness. Now, some Christians act as if it's gone when they get saved. The Bible doesn't teach that. Let's let's go to Romans chapter 7 and see what the Bible teaches then. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because you still have the depraved human nature even after you're saved. And what this nature does is it produces spiritual blindness. Did you know that in the Bible, God referred to his own people in very demeaning terms he would he'd call them blind. And he would talk about their blind guides. Did you know in Ezekiel 34, which refers to this historical people, uh, period, and the people that are leading them, governing them, it calls them shepherds. Did you know it says nothing good about them? Now, just yesterday, I concluded that from God's perspective, Christian leaders or teachers, now this is from God's perspective, he probably considers them to be false teachers. I've never thought about this before. Never thought about According to Matthew 17, 11. I already said recently, according to that passage, you should expect that over 50% of what you believe is false. How could it not be? And that's like, oh, come on. What did it say? Elijah will come. And restore everything. It's corrupt. Can't you kind of get a feel for that as we go along here? We do this show after show. We get the Bible out. There's a consistent pattern of um, resisting the truth or having a contrary opinion and falling into error. And you'll also notice that the things I'm talking about Ask yourself a simple question. Have these people heard about this and or, and or, are they talking about it? Now, that makes it more simple. The second one. Have you heard them talking about these things that I'm talking about? The only thing you say, well, Dave is a really creative guy. Somehow or another, he came up with all these um, interesting, unique beliefs over the years. When he was in isolation, claimed to be taught by God. I mean, you know, but they're not true. Um, well, guess what? The um, ancient Israelites would have said the same thing. We got a majority opinion. Now, who's this guy? Elijah. <laughs> who's he? Where did he come from? What's his reputation? We're supposed to listen to him? You know what I mean? going to go with majority opinion. Same thing with Jeremiah's day. They had other prophets, by the way. We have these people, too. And they were prophesying prosperity. Well, guess which one the people believed? And also the king of Israel. Okay? Don't assume that there was an intrigue in the background, that he wasn't actually a servant of Satan, you know, on a quote-unquote payroll. I don't know. Okay, But he decided with the false prophets, and they were all prophesying prosperity, and Jeremiah was prophesying doom. You ever notice that I kind of have like a negative message 
Dave is like always putting people down. You know, Dave, you know, why don't you uplift people and encourage people? You brood of vipers, <clears throat> who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Oh, come on, man. You know, he's just so negative, you know. Does he have a positive message and make us feel a little better about ourselves? Actually, you get that everywhere you go. You go to church, you know, happy time, happy, happy, happy. It's all artificial. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, delusional people. They are delusional. And that's okay, because that's the norm in this cult. This entire cult is an illusion. The more knowledge that you gain, you have a better grasp of that. Well, this is an illusion, and that's a trick, and this is a scam, and it's actually that way right on down the line. And show me one significant thing. Nobody's ever done this. Show me one significant thing that's not a trick, a scam, a, a deception. There's something along those lines. Show me something. Well, we came up with something, the seven-day uh, week. God preserved. <laughs> Show me something else. Mm-hmm. I don't know of anything. It's all a trick, trick of the devil. And if that many things are a deception, we have to be under a curse. And if that many things are faulty, no wonder the people are blind. There's a relationship between the biblical concept of light and truth. This is like intellectual light that also overlaps with what we call spiritual light. Identified with the truth. Now stop and think about that. That's why God's people sit in darkness. And there's a passage about this. It has has to do with another double fulfillment. I believe it's in Isaiah 8. There's a great darkness over the land. Now this this had a first century fulfillment. It's actually quoted but I believe there's a secondary fulfillment. I mean, I'm absolutely convinced. We've talked about this before. But it talks about the people who sit in great darkness. And who are these people? They're God's people. That doesn't sound right, does it? Um, can you prove that these people today have more light than these disobedient Israelites? Remember, these disobedient Israelites that we have such a low opinion of, they were actually governed by Moses initially, and they had signs and wonders 24-7. The cloud of glory ran and the pillar of fire by night and by day. Okay? We don't have those things. We don't have a single leader that can guide us into any significant amount of truth. There's nobody. We already determined that a long time ago. Who's this person? You know, when I say that, <clears throat> I mentioned Billy Graham. He's dead. Whatever may, you may think of him, I'll skip over him, okay? Whenever I say that, um, there's no response. And people will say, well, yeah, what about this guy? Everybody has their heroes, you know. <clears throat> Jerry Falwell. I don't know, he's dead too. There isn't anybody um, because God has not given us anybody. And once you put Ezekiel 34 in its proper historical context, it specifically tells you that. They don't have a shepherd. Now look at these people wandering around in confusion. 
They don't even know what to do because they don't have enough truths to even guide themselves. That's the value of knowledge. You can't act correctly unless you know correctly, unless you perform a correct action by random chance or a superior entity, which doesn't necessarily have to be God, chooses to bypass your ignorance and enlighten you. And that doesn't happen very often. So do you think that that's a very um, efficient method of um, guiding your life by random chance? Well, obviously not. So therefore, knowledge is preeminent. Because you can't even be holy without knowledge. It's impossible to be holy without knowledge of the law of Moses, which you have to study for years. That's how you were holy back then. Sin has to do with missing the mark. You have to violation of the law of Moses. Okay? Knowledge precedes everything, precedes action. Did you know that knowledge is not important in the local church? What's important is faith and love. Dave, when I listen to you, I don't hear the love of Christ coming through your voice. And now it's time to quote the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. This has actually happened to me. I've talked about this before. I had two Bible studies. They both had to do with negative subjects. One was that Amos 9 actually referred to the destruction of Christianity by God, which is actually revealed in the last scene of the Pet Goat video. They know what's coming. That cathedral-like structure that's destroyed, that represents institutional Christianity. They don't tell you that God's going to destroy it. He already destroyed the religion of the first century. Don't assume that he's not going to do it. See, Christians are just like Israelites. You know what they do? They always assume they have the favor of God. You see, that that's their fundamental error right there. We have the favor of God. They compare themselves with the wicked world. You know what? You're all wicked. And we've all been corrupted. We talk about this in conversations. I talk about, it, it has to do with exposure. Is it true or is it not true we're all being exposed to this corrupt culture? Well, then it's going to affect you because it's um, everyone's a product of their environment. So I'm trying to do the right thing and obey God. You know something? <laughs> if you go to the workplace or you go to uh, you know middle school and you hear this filth, you can't imagine the filth. Um, like working at a construction job, these men talking about women. I remember what it was like back in the late 1970s. Just absolute filth. Or out of it all day long. And that's not going to have an effect on you. Boy, it's a very difficult thing to be a Christian and work in an environment like that. Um, the last job that I had was a landscaping job, and I worked in a Christian company. So I didn't have to go through that. And said I had to put up with these Christians. <laughs> that was another story. These guys were legalists. I've talked about them before. They, uh, the old-time holiness church, 
the precursors to the Pentecostals, and they didn't believe that they sinned. They had arrived at a state of perfection, sinlessness. And they were looking to find sin on me every single day. And I didn't give them nothing. And they never came up with anything. I'm telling you a true story. They never were able... I knew what they were doing. So I would just be the best little boy around them. I, I actually played the game. A lot of Christians go, I'm not going to play this game. You know what I mean? And the other guys actually said that. They didn't care. But uh, I played along with their game. Because I was with these guys in a previous company that was supposed to be Christian, but it wasn't. <clears throat> because the boss had apostatized. And eventually ended up in prison. Criminal. Okay? And uh, that's why this guy hired me. He went off and started his own company. He hired me because he, he liked me. Because... Um, they couldn't get anything on me. So he's a pretty good guy. He should be. They always wanted me to, you know, join their church, right? <laughs> they thought of me like a Calvinist. They were very antagonistic to any form of Calvinism. But I wasn't a Calvinist. I was an Augustinian, which has some commonalities. Well, let me look at the chat room here. Are you still around, Chuck? Nathan is there in Alaska. I think I'll uh, refresh the chat room. Because if I leave it up there too long, it's not accurate. It's like there's people in there that are not really there. The reason I have to look at the chat room is because uh, people um, lose, they lose the call and then they have to be, when they come back in, they have to be a, Unmuted again. Okay, Chuck is gone. He's there, but he's not on the mic anymore. You there, Matthew? Yeah, I'm still here, Dave. Oh, this is Matt. Uh, Matthew and... uh, You you got any comments, Matthew? Matt? You got any comments? I'm at the moment now. Okay. Am I hearing from Matthew or Matt? No, th- this is Matt from California. Yeah, I know I know what your voice is like. That was Matthew who just spoke, wasn't it? He's fine. How's the Sunday, Michigan? Yeah. You getting sleepy? It's 3.30, approximately your time. I'll be all right. Um, I may want to... Uh, deal with the rest of the uh, celestial stuff when uh, Chuck is uh, around because I do uh, plan to uh, talk more about this uh, with Emily this week. So I don't need to do it all now. Let me see how long I've been online. Or, oh, yeah. It's uh, close to five hours. So I'll just save it. Whatever. Well, let me say... Um, I'll see if I can get this out. Uh, What they're doing, there's a clear pattern. Uh, We'll see if I get cut off if I run out of time here. Um, It has to do with um, 
the years 2017 and 2018. Um, if you've been around the block a few times, you know all the important things that happen in these different interesting categories in 1947 and 1948. We've already mentioned one of them. In 1947, the United Nations determined, you know, legally that um, Israel could become a state, but it actually didn't become official in 1940s. Except they're not, they're not a country officially. They're what's called a state. That happened in 1948. And you've got this linkage. Now, the reason this linkage is there, this is a whole subject in itself. Um, they were actually lining this up with the eclipse. Remember the eclipse is all through the Pet Goat video? The eclipse is incredibly important. I've talked about a number of places. There's even a Leonardo da Vinci painting that supposedly communicates this. Now, I have no way of proving this. And I don't clearly see it, but the angel actually said it's genuine. I, gotta, I thought we were going to get a no one. You've got to be kidding me. But see, you can predict eclipses ahead of time. That eclipse was incredibly important last year. Okay? The Illuminati tell you that it is, but they do it obviously in a covert way because they don't want you to know it's important. But they did a number of things that revealed that they know it's important, but they don't want you to know it's important, especially Christians. Christians just, just ignored it, right? Okay. <clears throat> and I also talked about, now that's a 70-year period. This is why this is critical. Absolutely critical. 70-year period culminating in 2017 and 2018, okay? Now, they also have, I talked about this 500-year anniversary, Possum Reformation. That culminated in 2017. Uh, at the end of October, Okay. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.